here it comes again, lunch. Will it be the same old, same old? Or are you ready to take a vacation from the ordinary with the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub at Firehouse Subs? Freshly sliced smoked turkey breast, craveably sweet mustard sauce, and a hint of Caribbean seasoning. Just $5.55 for a medium. Save time. Order the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub on the Firehouse Subs app. Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs. Save more lives. Participating locations, limited time only, plus tax. Prices may vary for delivery. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. to Wrestling Omakase. It is episode number 98. I usually have a very hard time remembering what the episode number is, as long-time listeners uh, can probably tell you. But right now I have no trouble at all because we're counting down to number 100, which also happens to be counting down to when I'll be back in Japan. So I'm very excited. we got two to go here. And on this countdown, I'm joined this week by a returning guest, Mr. Aaron Bentley, making, I think, your second appearance, yeah? Yeah, I think that's right. I believe the only other time I've been on was for the review of FIP Everything Burned. <laughs> Someone mentioned that in like a <laughs> iTunes review recently. They were like, you should review more FIP. And if I could re- if I could respond to... And it was a positive review, so shout out to that guy. But if I could respond to that review, I would have responded, no, I should not. <laughs> that would be my response. <laughs> well, that was... Did- it was a very fun episode. Yeah, that show did not make me more very excited to watch more FIP. So this could be like this is like though your first appearance where I actually invited you on. Because yes. remember Ogan invited you on because he won the the champion draft and got to name his own shot, basically. That's true. Uh, We've talked a lot about potentially coming on, but we don't often watch the same things. Yeah. And I used to do a podcast about Evolve as People listening may know it, and you, I don't think, watched maybe even a match ever of Evolve. So, well, I did finally because I went to their show for that's right. Weekend. So, that that's was, right. That, and I, I'm pretty sure my friend brought this up after the fact, and I, I never even realized this. I went to like their second show, I think, which I, okay. I, I totally forgot about because I guess it made that little of an impression. But <laughs> back when I used to go to a lot of like, you know, Northeast indie stuff, I think the one I went to like their second or third ever show like in Rahway, New Jersey. So yeah, one of the so, very early ones. But, so finally we found some things that we were both watching at the same time that we could talk about. Yeah. So stardom, new Japan and 
I guess we'll talk a little bit about AEW too, even though you do that all the time now, because yeah. you're now from Everything Elite. The That's right. Elite AEW podcast. You're not no longer like the only podcast in your genre. No, there are, appear to be quite a few AEW yeah. related podcasts, but I like to say that uh, we're the best. Although I say that without having ever I've, listened to any other podcast. <laughs> I was going to ask you if you ever listened to any of the other ones because I, <laughs> I, I will be honest with you. If if you if I didn't know you and Nate and Mike, like there is no chance I just would have seeked out to listen to an AEW centric podcast before the promotion even launched. So it's yeah. more like I was listening for you guys and. You, you, I don't, you know, I don't listen every week, but most weeks when I listen, you guys do a, a pretty good job. Well, thanks. I, I think it's been nice. Yes, it's weird that we've done, I think, eighteen episodes about <laughs> a, a a promotion that doesn't exist, but it has given us a chance to work on our chemistry and just getting the podcast uh, a good rhythm and all that sort of stuff. So I think it'll be good by the time people really start listening to it. Um, I mean, they always jokes that like this is the easiest job of all time because you don't actually have to watch any wrestling. <laughs> that will that will probably that will change soon. Now here's yeah. what I'm wondering: Will what will the episodes between the monthly shows look like? Because that'll be like a totally different thing. Where it's like, okay, instead of just waiting around for this one show, now we've had a show, but now we're waiting around for more shows, and like that could I can almost see how that could be like quieter almost. Yeah. So the idea of doing it weekly was the initial reports that they would have weekly television. We didn't know then that it won't be until probably October of this year before the weekly television starts. So uh, we've been lucky so far that a lot of news has broken pretty much each week. I don't know if that's going to keep happening because they're going to probably have a pretty static roster. And uh, hopefully there won't be as much drama as there has been this week, for example, which I'm sure we'll talk about. Uh, But we'll kind of see, just hope that things pop up that we can uh, talk about. Yeah. That's interesting. I mean, I listened to this week's episode, which I'm sure was must have done some of your better numbers. But you know, talking about the the TV information, the pay per view stuff, but that's all cool, all well and good. And then obviously, once there's weekly TV, that'll be a lot easier to do a weekly show than it's just like you know recapping the weekly TV. Yeah, except that we'll have to watch two hours of TV every week. <laughs> that's true. I mean, I don't know how you. That. I just. Spent- say i don't know how you feel but like i i really i've been saying this a lot in the in the voice wrestling slack lately i really hope they completely change the way you know american wrestling companies do weekly tv now because it's like my least favorite format of wrestling i think or like way to watch wrestling yeah and they've been commenting this week a lot about how they don't want it to look anything like wwe television and uh, one of the Jacksons, I forget which one, claimed at least that he hadn't watched WWE TV in years. And so hopefully there won't be much influence from that. Uh, I tried to make a lot out and nobody on the show agreed with me. Uh, that A line in their press release about how they were going to be airing weekly matches. Yeah, I heard you say that. I think that could be that, that could be something. Right. So maybe it's going to be like heavy on the wrestling, which I, I hope it is. You know, I, I don't want to see a bunch of skits and, you know, the bullshit that we get from WWE. So or being the elite. <laughs> right. Yeah. I don't think anybody wants to watch two hours of being the elite. It's fun as like a 20 minute little thing, you know, but uh, two hours. Ugh. Um, I mean, my whole thing with the format is I just think it's so such a I don't know. Like, it's such a shitty way to really watch it when you think about it, because it's like, OK, we start with this this program, this supposedly legitimate sporting event where, you know, you 
you don't know any of the matches half the time now. I mean, Raw has gotten really, really bad in like the past decade. There used to be like announced matches on Raw, right? Like that used to be a thing. Absolutely. And, and now it feels like if you turn on Raw, it's like, well, we might have a match. We might have like two promo segments that are being hyped up, but like there's no card anymore. And right. I, if I was that's what I would get back to just not this fucking mystery vortex every week, basically, where you have no idea who's going to come out and who's going to wrestle. I mean, I would just rip off the DT Maji Maji show, which I'm sure they must, you know, I'm sure Kenny at least is aware of. For sure. And I would just have like a set card every week. I would tell people the match order. And, you know, you can still do your fucking promos and have stuff change on the fly sometimes. But I just think it would be such a refreshing change to what we've gotten so used to as yeah, far as the American TV wrestling format. For sure. I expect, based on some of the influences, there to be a lot of similarities with uh, old school, you know, Southern wrestling style TV. And so in those we would, if you, I mean, if you've ever gone back and watched any of that old TV, it would be like, okay, next week we'll see these three matches on the yeah. TV. Like you know? something, right. something would be nice. Like at least fucking tell us what's going to be on these fucking shows. I feel like WWE just doesn't tell you hardly anything. I mean, they might put it on like the website or something. I don't, I don't, I don't know. Maybe someone's gonna like at me after this and be like, "Oh, they put the entire card up on <laughs> the preview every week." I don't even think they do that though. I think if the preview is just like, "Well, we yeah. know that the monster among men is very angry at the voice of the voiceless." I think that's CM Punk <laughs> actually, but I couldn't think of a second fucking nickname. Yeah. Well, please honestly, stay, please stay away from nicknames, AEW. That's my other big advice. Honestly, like. like I don't watch it every week at this point, but there was a time when NXT TV was pretty good and they did give you a pretty good build from week to week on what the matches were going to be. And you could just do that kind of format, which again was based on a lot of old territory wrestling TV. So I think with that influence, they should be uh, pretty decent and a lot different from what we get from WWE. Yeah. So we'll see. I mean, it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting. I'm I'm interested in what they're gonna do. I just you know I hope it's good because a lot sure. of people, a bunch of people I like are gonna be there. It looks like, especially like they're they're very up on signing a lot of Joshi wrestlers I like now. So I hope I hope it's good for their sake. Speaking yeah, of Joshi, oh, oh I'm just gonna say it's important. For whatever you think about the elite guys, you know the Bucks and Cody and Kenny. Or I guess Cody's not really part of the elite, but whatever. Whatever you think about those guys, it's really important, I think, for American wrestling and for the uh, labor market in general for AEW or something like it to succeed. Yeah. And so I, I really hope that it does well or that you know something – I'd be fine if something replaced it and also did well, except that I think if this fails, then it's going to be hard for somebody else to take a shot at it. So I yeah. think it's important for wrestling fans and for wrestlers especially for this to do well. Yeah, I agree. I mean, American wrestling desperately – I mean, it's needed this for like 15 fucking years, really. So, you know, hopefully it succeeds. Even though as people listening know, I'm not the biggest fan of uh, <laughs> of several of the elite members. I mean, did you see that shit from the Young Bucks this week, by the way? In that interview talking about how they weren't paid enough in New Japan? Sure. It's like giant eye roll, but I don't know. Well, I mean, I guess I, I, mean, I don't know what they were paid, but... I guess I expect people to feel like they're uh, not being paid. You know, the, just to overvalue themselves. That's reasonable, yeah. I guess. It's just um, really weird because they, they basically, I mean, I don't think people even realize how few matches they worked for New Japan 
Yeah, I was surprised years. by that. I think you posted that, and I was surprised. Yeah, I mean, they wrestled less than 30 matches last year, which, and that's not just like Young Bucks two on two tag matches. That's all of, I think I looked up Nick Jackson, because it's, you know, it's going to be the same anyway. I looked up all of Nick Jackson's appearances in New Japan last year. That's how many times he wrestled in a ring. So, including multi man tags, everything else, tw- like 29 times. Yeah, that's wild. I, I guess I understand why New Japan didn't value them very highly. I mean, the junior tag scene is not like headlining anything or the heavyweight when they even when they moved sure. out right that's true um, but i do think they have some value as far as the western expansion i guess i'm most surprised that they felt like ring of honor didn't want to shell out to keep them around yes ring of honor i, I mean that's a completely different story i think it's very clear that that company like if you look at how the two companies have have done in, in six months since they lost they both lost the elite it's pretty clear that it's made zero impact at all on new japan's japanese business i mean even less of an impact than i thought it would make honestly because i thought not the bucks but i thought kenny would be a big bigger loss for them in japan than he's been like they've you know their attendance is, is up if anything in japan this year so zero impact there a bit of an impact in america although the the dallas tickets are selling better now than they were a few months ago so that even that is like you know it did do real damage to the u.s expansion but like even then, maybe not quite as much as I would have expected. Well, um, it's hard to separate how much damage that did versus the uh, what? What were the shows called in? Uh, oh in yeah, LA. the New Beginning USA. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That did a lot of damage, I think, as far yeah. as ticket sales. And so it's hard to separate the two of those as as what caused the most damage. And now the other side of that though is they did not lose almost like they lost apparently zero subscribers since after Russell Kingdom, which. That is right. pretty incredible since obviously they always lose a little bit, just like WWE always loses a little bit after WrestleMania. So not only did you not run off the people who I guess you'd think were watching only for the elite, whatever they were, New Japan's done this year has been engaging enough to not even lose the normal subscribers. And like, and half the subscribers are out of Japan, outside of Japan. So right. that's a big thing. That's like 120,000 people. That's not like network numbers, but that's still like, you know, it's a lot of people. Do you think there are New Japan World subscribers who aren't keyed in enough to know that those guys aren't coming back? It's very possible. I mean, yeah, especially so, since Jericho is now going to be at Dominion. Right. And, you know, those, all those guys were on Wrestle Kingdom. Yeah. So, you know, could easily be like, oh, we don't really know. But then the product's been engaging enough this year. Obviously, the guys haven't been back all year. So yeah. I guess the product's been engaging enough for people that they're sticking around. So, I mean, now, obviously, the comparison, though, is to Ring of Honor, which as you were saying, I think Ring of Honor, you know, if anything, they undervalue them because like the collapse has been even more spectacular than I would have expected. Yeah. I loved the, I don't, I forget who reported this, but I loved that basically Ring of Honor said we did all or helped them do all in because we just assumed it would show them that it was going to be a failure and that they had to stick with us and rely on us. Like, Wow, what a terrible read of like everything. <laughs> yeah, they're basically. I mean, they, they might be one of the one of the dumbest companies I think <laughs> in wrestling history, and up there for like some of the dumbest, like most short sighted decisions. I mean, look, if you really, I don't know. There's so much you could say about Ring of Honor, but like, like their attendance is cratering. Uh, they pissed off their partners in. New Japan, who's the only people left that are keeping them from cratering even further. I mean, just just awful all around. And I, I just, I don't, it's it's pretty clear when you compare the two companies that Ring of Honor um, 
are the ones that really felt this elite loss, as you'd expect. Because what else is there without the elite for Ring of Honor, you know? Oh, yeah. Right. And um, I don't know. We'll see whether Ring of Honor has hurt their relationship with New Japan enough that they eventually have a relationship with AEW. I'm interested to see if that ever happens. I think uh, it's and- a long way off, if anything, because it seems like there is a lot of legitimate heat there. Yes, uh, but if it does happen, I mean, that I'm not going to say it's a death knell for Ring of Honor, but they would become irrelevant very quickly. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I mean, I feel like they're already trending towards, like, where Impact is this year, and it just would make it go even faster. Yep, and they're trying to do, you know, like, ECW nostalgia bullshit. So Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's the same company, basically. <laughs> but whatevs, what are you going to do? Um, as far as, uh, but anyway, you ruined my perfect transition before to, to stardom, which is the first one we're going to talk about as far as non AEW related topics. Um, so you're obviously a very big stardom fan, Aaron. How long, how long have you been watching stardom for now? Okay. Not that long. So everybody don't, uh, (laughs) all all the, all the people listening are like, yeah, they're like turning this off. Why would I listen (laughs) to this guy? Hasn't been watching that long. I really, so for years I've watched like a couple of the big matches that people talked about. And then I got really heavy into it uh, throughout 2018. So I guess the end of 2017, and then I got really heavy into it. And now I'm, it's my most favorite promotion, the promotion I follow the closest. So not that long, but I do follow it very closely. I mean, I'm, when you guys rebranded everything elite, I was a little surprised you rebranded like everything stars or something. <laughs> but yeah. So clearly. thing. Yeah, I've thought a lot about doing uh, some stardom content, but A, I don't know what kind of audience is out there for it. And B, I don't have the historical knowledge to draw on. So, you know, I feel like when I listen to a podcast, I want to hear the experts talk. And so I can give everybody, I think I'm going to give everybody a good rundown of this Corican and the the stuff that led up to it. But if we're talking, we have to tie it back into something that happened in 2011 or 12. You know, I'm not the guy to do that. Which with our, which Arisa Hoshiki did talk about actually. True. Her first her first failed Wonder Challenge all the way back on a uh, Usapon in 2011. That's right. Uh, so I, I'm not the guy to talk about that, I guess. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, like, um, but starting a promotion, I've always liked um, their promotion. That like, um, my, unfortunately, my, my one of my best friends who passed away last year. Um, Sean Williams was a huge, always like a gigantic fan. So, you know, even in years where I wasn't paying super close attention to them, I would always hear about what was going on with them through him. But in the past, in the past, like I would say, honestly, ever since, ever since EO left, which is kind of weird to say, I think it's been really good and I've been really into it. But I don't know, just something about like, like obviously they they had lost Carrie saying the year before. And then you would think losing someone as talented as Io Shirai would be a huge blow. But I don't know. It just, like, it opened things up at the top of the cards a lot. And, like, the people that were waiting just turned out to be... I mean, it's very similar to what happened with New Japan, honestly. When New Japan lost AJ and Shinsuke at the same time, you expect them to have, like, a giant crash or something. But they just had so many people waiting and that they were able to move up that it just, if anything, it even probably got better. Whereas here, I think the same thing happened. You had, you lose EO, and before that, Kaori. But, like, you know, you have Momo waiting. You know, you have Utami Hayashishida came out of nowhere. Um, you just had so many talent. You know, Hazuki really took a step forward. You just have so many talented wrestlers waiting to, wait, basically waiting for the shot. 
that like taking out that kind of top talent really, if anything, opened things up for them. I would agree with that completely from a talent perspective, but from a business perspective, I think it's been oh, not yeah, that's terribly damaging, but the houses are down. That, that is true. Yeah. If you look back, you know, I looked at this Corican, which uh, did about 860 fans, I think. Yeah. And that's the worst Corican attendance they've had since October 2017, which was a Yokobito Takumi Aroha main event. Yeah. Uh, down about 80 fans from last year when this was the uh, Momo EO match, when Momo beat EO for the white belt. So just kind of generally down since EO left, and they haven't done over a 1,000 in Corican since EO left. So I don't know if that reflects on Momo or if it reflects on, you know, they've lost EO and Kyrie, who were their two big stars, and they just got to build back up. Yeah, I agree. I mean, the, the attendance to me, like – I don't know. Maybe I'm just used to stardom crowds looking a certain way that like 80 fans isn't really noticeable, but you know, it's definitely down. Like you said. Um, yeah. That's not, you know, some huge amount, but you yeah. know, obviously you'd rather have the 80 tickets paid if you can. <laughs> yeah. But as, as far as like creatively though, like my own personal enjoyment, I think it's been a lot better since. Oh uh, yeah. It, it kind of blows my mind because the promotion is great right now. So yeah. it's, it's weird to me that attendance is down a little bit. I, and also Maybe this is just in our bubble and I'm I'm missing a bigger trend, but I feel like Western fans are much more into stardom than they've ever been. Yeah, they kind of always have been, but it definitely feels really high right now. Yeah, and right. Uh, obviously it helped that they came to New York, and I think a lot of people there were turned on to stardom for the first time, and a lot everybody left loving it. I mean, I don't think I talked to anybody who, who didn't love that show live, so it, it was a great experience. I mean, there was really no, there really was nobody. I mean, I can't, you know, I went to, I went to the show plenty of people who like one of my best, one of my other best friends, uh, Quinlan, who was, who was there with me, he probably seen like maybe five stardom matches in his whole life before that, but he really loved, ended up loving the show. So I think it's just a very, it was a very, uh, you know, it was a very good show for it, like for newer fans. Cause I think it just gave you a lot of easy tags and like ways to like kind of, just gently introduce the newer talent, but then like it still gave you like a blow away singles match with Momo and Utami. So you kind of got the best of both worlds there. Yeah. And it lasted like two hours flat. So yeah. in a weekend where you're just watching a ton of wrestling, it was nice to have an easy, quick show. Uh, that was just a lot of fun. Yeah. So that was cool. This Corkin also cool. Unfortunately, we we're missing two matches from it, which um, if you're newer to start to watching stardom, especially via stardom world, um, they kind of put up the matches like a few each day. So unfortunately we're missing like two of the matches still have not gone up yet, which were two of the bigger ones. Uh, the artists of stardom, six woman titles, uh, the big win for Tokyo cyber squad, which I'm very sad. I don't get to see yet. And then also, uh, the world of stardom title match with B Priestley and Hazuki, which, I'm not even technically spoiled on, but I assume Hazuki did not win the title. Also, I probably would have heard about it by now. But I expect um, so. I'm also unspoiled on that match. So yeah. Um, but the other four matches have aired, including the main event, which obviously fe- featured a really big title change and one that you, I have to say, Aaron, you kind of cursed this into existence. I absolutely did. This is completely my fault. <laughs> Oh, and by the way, if you're not aware too, Stardom Corkins do air on Samurai TV too, but they're not 
this one will not air on Samurai until May 25th. So still got like, by the time it airs on Samurai, basically it'll be up on, the other two matches will be up on World anyway, so. Yeah, so the way that Stardom World usually does it is the main event will be up the next day and then they start from the beginning of the show. Okay, to every second. Yeah, and then you get uh, one or two a day after that. But they pretty much always get it up before Samurai airs it. Yeah, I guess I just had like a a, a freeze or something. But anyway, because I didn't, I, I think you just explained what happened with Samurai and, and Oh, World. sure. You may say it again? No, no, no. I, it probably recorded. So okay. it's probably just me. <laughs> um, but yeah, so the main event was Roma Watanabe uh, and Arisa Hoshiki for the Wonder of Stardom title. Now, as you mentioned, Momo had won this title almost exactly a year ago, and this was her 14th. It was trying, she was trying to defend this title for the 14th time, which is crazy. How does one end up with 13 title defenses in a year, Aaron? Why don't the, the foremost Momo Watanabe expert <laughs> in the Western world can tell us, tell us about Momo's reign? Well, it's very difficult. Uh, obviously, I mean, I guess not obviously, but if you don't know, that is the most defenses of any belt in stardom history. So uh, Momo surpassed EO's former record. And, what was EO's I mean, record? Do you remember? I want to say it was 11. It was It was also the white belt, right? That I don't know. Come on. Okay. Come on, John. Oh, wow. You're killing okay, me can, here. I can look at that. Hold on. Keep going. Yeah. So Momo completely surpassed everything EO ever did. I'm just kidding. Uh, I'm a, I'm a, if you don't know, I'm a huge Momo Watanabe fan. I think she's the best wrestler in the world. And I mean that I, I completely seriously. I, I I mean, I think it's pretty fuck. If Look, if she's not, like, that is not an absurd statement. Like, I think I had her either second or third on my list last year. So, like, it's, she's really, really good. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we should also say that she's 19 years old. Yeah. So, uh, I don't know how much, you know, some of these women retire at, 20 and some of them uh, wrestle for a long time. So I don't know how much she's got left, but uh, she's a great wrestler. So how did she get to uh, 13 defenses is a lot of times the way stardom does it is they will have defenses on spot shows. It's against somebody that you just know that the person's going to uh, win against. But obviously that doesn't mean that anyone before her was able to get that many defenses racked up. But she basically over her in 2018, like you said, she won almost exactly a year ago against EO. And then she had a lot of good matches the rest of 2018. But 2019 is when it really went into high gear. And we saw some great matches in January against Tom Nakano. Uh, she had an uh, outrageously good match against Jamie Hayter in February. Yeah, that, 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 rolled. Yep, that was that in was Kyoto a, in Kyoto and KBS Hall, which is right. a, a great, just a great arena. I can't wait to finally see a show in, in a couple of weeks. And oh, yeah. I'm jealous. that's like um, just a just a really, really, really good match. Yeah. Jamie Hayter is very good. And so I hope we'll see her back in stardom sometime. And uh, a lot of people's favorite match, I think, from this year was uh, in March. She defended against Jungle Kiona in Kiona's hometown in Nagoya. And they had a war. And so I don't know. I, I guess what frustrates me about the Orisa win is not that Orisa won, even though I'm not a big Orisa fan. She's fine. But it's that this was the second shortest match of Momo's reign. This was this finished in 12 minutes and 57 seconds. And we're coming off a bunch of matches where Momo had these long, drawn-out wars with people like Tom Nakano, Jamie Hayter, Jungle Kiona. I mean, she was just coming off of a uh, time limit draw with Tony Storm. And so it's just weird to me. The story wasn't that 
all this kind of wore down Momo and then Arisa was able to take advantage of her and beat her that way. It was just like, I don't know, Arisa's a, a world beater who could beat her in 13 minutes. I don't know. I didn't buy it and I don't love it. And uh, I'm not happy. See, I'm going gonna, gonna, gonna <laughs> to give you my, my take on the, the time. I thought it was more supposed to be like, well, you know, all these other wrestlers have tried to go really have really tried to go at it with Momo and like, you know, you know, play her own game. And meanwhile, Arisa just managed to get like two kicks and, you know, hit that knee strike and then hit her two kicks and just kind of pin her out of nowhere. Not, not to say like, it feels like a total fluke, but almost like fluke ish, you know, it's like, yeah. this was the only way to end this, this fucking monster Momo reign was just to, uh, Arisa caught her at the exact right time and just knocked her out and beat her, which I, I get, I think the match, I think it worked, especially for the match they told and the story they went with. I thought, that was kind of what they were going for, but I just, you know, I get why it would be, it would seem like a, a letdown after the rain, but I think, you know, I think it might have been the only way to do it, basically, with how Momo was so unbeatable up until now. Yeah, the story was about who had the better kicks, I guess. That was kind yeah. of the Arisa claiming that Momo had fake kicks, which I loved. Uh, that was funny. So, you know, that made sense in the context of the of the match, and they didn't have. Uh, Arisa kick out of the Peach Sunrise. They kind of had her land on the ropes so that she didn't have to kick out of it. So that worked, kept Momo strong. But I don't know. It just felt like, and maybe you could argue that they did, but I wanted them to kind of make somebody new with this. And I don't feel like Arisa has the real staying power to yeah. go up to that top level. I would have liked to have seen Utami or Hazuki be the one to end this reign. So I don't know. It's just kind of a letdown for me. Yeah, I see that. I mean, I thought the match was really good. I still not quite up to the level of, you know, a lot of Momo defenses, but I still won three and three quarters. Um, I don't remember if you're a star rating guy or not. I think you're not. I am. I am. Okay. So give me stars. I had this at uh, about a three and a half. So basically where you were, uh, if, if you're wondering about my, I don't actually put the ratings on there, but I do keep a stardom match guide and you can find it on my Twitter account at Aaron, like the car. And basically I, I put everything in three boxes. It's either recommended, highly recommended or must see. And I, I explain in the doc how that correlates to star ratings. Uh, so I, I put this as a recommended match. So I do think people should watch it, but it was not on the level of a lot of these other defenses. Um, but yeah, I mean, th- there was one really, really, you know, the kick exchange is really good, especially when like, you know, Momo wins this kick exchange and then almost kicks her head off. I just thought it was a great like little moment where um, you know, you basically let played into like all that stuff about the fake kicks before the, that happened before the the show that you were talking about. So that was cool. And it was cool that Momo got to win that exchange. And then there was a great near fall off that Momoplex. That that what she calls that, right? The Momoplex. Um, the the one where she puts their uh, arm through their legs. Yeah. Oh, is that the Peach Sunrise? That's the Peach Sunrise. Okay, I'm sorry. Which is there a Momoplex? I could have sworn there was, or am I making that up? I th- I think you're making that up, but somebody will okay. at me and call me a fake fan. Okay, so the Peach Sunrise, not the Momoplex. Um, see, she hits the Peach Sunrise, and like Ar- Arisa just barely gets her leg on the bottom rope. Like that near fall would have got me if I wasn't spoiled. I think. Yes. Like I would a hundred percent thought Momo was doing. So I thought that was a great near fall. Um, and like you said, the end comes off a little like, what the fuck, what just happened? But I think in a way that was probably the only way to do it. So I get why they did that. But 
um, you know, it was it was good. It was still a really good match, just right below that level of some of the other normal title matches. To answer your question from earlier, by the way, the Io Shirai reign was her famous red belt reign, the wonder the world of stardom title. That's what I was so thinking. That was I didn't want to make a 20, fool of myself. That was the 2013 and 2014 reign where she beats um let's see, she goes through Yoshiko. It's 10 defenses actually. She goes through Yoshiko, Kyoko Kimura, Nanai. Uh, she has a time limit draw with Arisa Nakajima, and then she beats Natsuka, Natsuki Tayo, Chiyo Melissa, Alpha Female, Starfire, Takumi Aroha, and Mako Satomura. So there you go. So that's the 2013, the, the, the year long, actually over a year, from April 2013 to August 2014. So It's, it's wild how different all those names are. And it, I mean, yeah. 2013-14 is like a generation in Joshi. Oh, I'm wrong. Actually, she beats that record again in 2016 to 17. There's okay, one, there two, we go. Three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. Oh no, they had you. They had you in her tie. Because this is 14 defenses. Mm. So they're t- they're exactly tied. This World of Starving Paddle Rain. She beats she yeah from 2015 to 2017, the really long one. The or she beats Mako, December 2015. Then she defends against uh, Carrie Hojo, Viper, Alpha Female, Mayu, Casey Owens, Kaylee Ray, Yoko Bito, Taya Valkyrie, Mayu again. And one of, that's one of my favorite matches of all time. It's the December 2016 one, right after she turned on her and formed uh, Queen's Quest. Then Viper again, um, Shayna Baszler, Kagetsu, Kayari again, and the time limit draw with Tony Storm is the 14th defense. So, And then she loses to Mayu. Uh, June 2017. I've really been outed as a big fan here. Thanks. Yeah. Hey, well, well that, I think that's great, though. They had them. Oh, wait, no. She still. This was, would have been her 14th defense. That's right. So, so oh, I guess. Still, she still, yeah. I guess I'm mixed up in that Momo owns the white belt defense record. Yeah. But does not own the total defense record. That makes yeah. sense. EU still has the total by one defense. So there you go. So that's, that's interesting. I think it's possible that this opens up Momo for some other things. Obviously the red belt is sort of positioned higher than the white belt in this company. Well, I, not really lately, but I guess. Right. right. But overall, and I think it gives the possibility, like it's really weird that the champions in this company right now are B Priestley and Arisa Hoshiki. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, how's that going to uh, draw houses, I guess, but it opens up the possibility that, that Momo ultimately becomes the red belt champion. I think. Yeah. Although Momo B is kind of weird because, uh, you know, they're both in Queen's Quest. But yeah, but you have Momo win the five star and then just challenge off of that. Right. And that's kind of what uh, what I expect to happen is that Momo will ultimately win the uh, five star. But I guess, you know, B makes sense as uh, a transitional champion. Yeah. If now, you don't want to part- burn that Momo Kagetsu yet. Here's the question. Is Arisa a transitional champion as well for the Wonder? Or is, are they going to really try to run, run with her because I I suspect they are going to try to run with her. It's weird. I think after this, we saw Hazuki come out and she didn't really make the challenge, but she kind of got in her face. And so I don't know if that's where we're going with this. I kind of think it is. And it wouldn't shock me to see Hazuki kind of get the, get the push, but um, would be weird to me to kind of, use both these titles, uh, put them both on transitional champions and, and change the belts that quickly, both of them. 
So I, I expect one of them is going to get a, a decent little run here. Yeah. So that's that's basically the main event. Anything anything you want to say to give your obviously your big final thoughts on the Momo reign? One of one of the best title reigns of the decade. I think that's pretty clear. Absolutely. I mean, I think this is how she established herself as one of, if not the best wrestlers in the world over the last two years. There is just some really great stuff in here. If you go back through and and just watch her title defenses, you're going to see a lot of excellent wrestling. And she really brings out the best, I think, in a lot of people, especially people like uh, Jingle Kiona and uh, Tom Nakano. Just some of the, the best work that they that they do is, is in matches against her. So I don't know. There's not much else to say about it. She rules. She should be the champion forever. Uh, my heart is broken. Now, obviously if she goes on to win the five star GP and wins the red belt, I guess you'll get over it, but I will ultimately get over it. I, I guess, <laughs> you know, it's, she really was, fit that white belt so well though. I don't yeah, know. There's was, something about it. Yeah. And I don't know. I was spoiled going into this match. So if I hadn't been, I think it would have been much more heartbreaking to watch. <laughs> it's like yeah. Momo's the only person, uh, only wrestler in the world I'm a total mark for. I just hate to see her lose. So uh, there's that. But we got a lot of great stuff out of this reign, so it's hard to complain about it, really. Yeah. Uh, the other undercard matches we were able to watch, um, first of all, the three-way tag was the opener with Hanan and Starlight Kid uh, from Stars, from Queen's Quest, Hina, and Leo Onozaki. And from Oedotai, Andres Miyagi, and Natsuko Tora. Now, I knew Miyagi for years as Cassandra from Sendai Girl, so it's really hard for me to get used to Andres still. Um, like, in my head, I still call her Cassandra, but whatever. In her pre-match, she said, basically, in the pre-match interview, she said, like, it's the first match when facing a bunch of little turds. And I don't know why they made me laugh so hard, but I was, like, I was like almost crying. So it's just something about delivery. And then Natsuka sitting next to her, just like on her phone the entire time. Um, but yeah, this was fun. There was like a kind of awkward spot early with uh, Hanan and Hina. Like they were fighting over a judo takedown. They just looked look like they got lost a little bit or couldn't pull it off or something. But after that, when Leo tagged in, she, I mean, she looked awesome. Like Leo is one of these wrestlers that I always forget because she's, you know, she's still so, I mean, she's actually old for a stardom, you know, rookie. She's like 25. But um, at least according to Cage Match, because she don't look 25, but I know she's 25. Yeah, yeah, but like she's apparently 25 years old, and like you know, she just looks like very smooth, especially for someone who's only been wrestling a year. So she's got like if she sticks with this a while, like she probably has a great career out of her. Um, but yeah, she looked really good. Uh, and then Tor- Natsuka Tora got the pin on Leah with a splash. I, th- I thought this was a fun opener and. You know, for the other than like some awkwardness, and you know, you were you were that around really for the the era of the really terrible stardom openers because that used to be a thing for many years. Like stardom undercards and openers used to be like beyond trash, and now I think these the younger wrestlers are good enough now. We're like, you know, even though there might be a few awkward spots in there, the matches themselves are usually you know fairly entertaining. Yeah, this was good. I, I didn't even expect it to be as good as it was. It was a lot of fun. Part of that is that Natsuko Tora has just been excellent since she's been in Oedo Tai. She was already getting better and better, but letting her kind of flex her personality a little bit in Oedo Tai has, has helped. 
And so it was fun that she got the pen, and obviously she's getting a little bit of a of a push here. But you're right that there was some awkwardness with the judo sisters, but I thought it was fun. Like what they were doing was fun. It was almost like they were like shooting, you know, like they were really trying to see who could take the other one down. Which yeah, they didn't give a shit. They were just like, let's just keep fucking going for it until one of us gets it. I'm like, how often do you do you, the two of you just do this all the time? It's like if you and your sibling are both really good at this fighting skill, you must just like do these takedowns to each other nonstop. Absolutely. But, uh, speaking yeah. of Miyagi, what do you think about Miyagi's fit in stardom? I've heard a lot of people saying they don't think she fits very well. It is weird. I mean, it is very weird seeing her in stardom. I'm not entirely sure what to make of it yet. I don't think it's, you know, I, I think she fits okay in a way to tie, but I'm not really sure like it, her in stardom has been the best fit yet now. Yeah. I mean, I get that it's like a, an idol promotion or whatever, uh, but if she's available, she's very good. And so she, uh, I've enjoyed her in, in stardom so far. So I don't really have any complaints about that, but I was just wondering what you thought about the fit. I mean, I, I think it's more maybe because I watched a lot of Sunday girls before this. So maybe that might be why, like, it's a little weird for me seeing here in stardom. I think that probably is the case for other people who like watched a lot of Sunday girls. So, yeah, I've watched a moderate amount, I would say of Sendai girls. And so that's where I was familiar with her from, but it wasn't so much that it was like ugh, really hard for me to get used to seeing her in stardom. So yeah, I've liked it so far. I wouldn't say I've disliked it. I just, I'm, <laughs> I'm neutral on it so far. Let's say that. I really like that she doesn't wear like a mask and doesn't wear a crazy amount of like uh, paint or anything on her face. And yet in photos, she covers up her face. It cracks me up. Yeah. It is really funny. <laughs> uh, match number two, the very mysterious death Yamasan uh, versus Saya Ida versus Natsu Sumari. Um, so Death Yamasan, very mysterious, who this face paint a warrior could be. Yes. Um, I think it, Ida did say, like, is that the same wrestler I used to team with? And she seemed <laughs> generally confused before the show. Yeah, this was basically all about comedy. Uh, Natsu had the Natsu cam for the match, which was which is always great. And and then she took a bump for Death Yamasan's like posing. Which I will never, I would never not love when a wrestler, especially a comedy wrestler, takes a bump for another wrestler's pose. It's always great when that happens. Um, but yeah, so Natsu took a bump for Death Yamasan, just f- fucking doing her, her, you know, sticking up her fingers thing, and then Yamasan ended up winning with a roll up on Ida after she knocked Natsu off the top rope. There wasn't a lot to this. I, there, there was a really funny spot at the very beginning where like um, Ida and and Natsu just kept trading like holds basically. And Yamasan would keep acting like she was going to get in there and like start wrestling with them. But instead she would just keep throwing up her, her little rock pose, which is really funny. But yeah, fun little comedy match. Yeah. For three people that I enjoy a lot, I kind of wanted a little more out of this, but it, mm. it was good. Saida, I think is really good and it's going to be even better ultimately. Uh, but yeah, there just wasn't much to this. Yeah, which is pretty much about the comedy. Yep. And then match three, Tony Storm and Kagetsu. Uh, why don't you start on this? What do you think of this match? I like the match. I it was. Too. It started out very slow. Ultimately had a but hot... Not, I don't think in a bad way, though. 
like I thought the little mat wrestling exhibition was actually pretty decent, but like that can be good or bad, but I thought it was fine. Yeah, it was fine. And then I mean, more that stuff didn't bother me as much. You know, they end up outside, which is something that happens in just about every Kagetsu match and can be a, a drawback. But about halfway through, I really got going and was great the rest of the way. I was going to make a joke here about how it was like, you know, uh, your average New Japan match, but <laughs> <laughs> because it started so slow and finished so hot. But uh, what was interesting to me, well, a couple of things. So I guess there's an idea out there that Tony wasn't very good on this tour. And I don't think she was until this match. I mean, yeah, I, I, I just a strong disagree from me. Okay. Um, I really liked the match she had with Momo was very good. I thought she had a match before that. I'm trying to, I'm looking at my uh, sheet here. She had a, a match that I really liked with uh, Tom Nakano. I thought the Konami match wasn't very good or it was just like below, you know, what I would hope for, but I thought she was good on this tour. So I was just kind of surprised by that take being out there. Hmm. Yeah. I, I, I didn't think she was great. Um, I thought she was Okay. But this match definitely helped because I'm not really that big into Kagetsu usually, especially not in singles matches. But I thought this was like a good like three and a half star match. So, you know, I yeah, can't same. really complain about that. Um, you know, there's a whole thing with the mist at the end where right. she sprays the mist at the ref by accident. So we got the visual pinfall, the strong zero. But then when Kagetsu had like more mist loaded up, that was a really cool spot. And then so he gets the mist and gets the 450, but Tony kicks out. And then the time limit expires just as Kagetsu was going for a Death Valley driver. But yeah, I really enjoyed this. I thought it was good. Um, it's not like I would mind seeing Tony back. I just think it makes... I mean, Tony was protected anyway, but I think it, there is like an element of like, well, I don't really want to... like, you know, I think people are just annoyed by this. Like, oh yeah, you're the UK women's champion, so you can't do any jobs. It's just like, well, I don't know. I think, I think that does annoy people, but... Yeah, and by this point, it did it. Like when it went to a time limit draw on this one, it was a little bit annoying to me. I was unspoiled when I watched it. I was like, okay, do we really have to do this again? Uh, but the matches themselves, I thought, were good. And Tony's obviously over with the Japanese fans. I mean, yes. they were hot for for every show. Uh, what's funny to me, though, is so this was a time limit draw. So it was supposed to be her versus B. Priestley. And that match got canceled, you know, presumably because WWE didn't want them going against each other. But people kind of thought at the time that that meant B was supposed to win the match. But like clearly, Tony didn't take any falls on this tour. Yeah. So he didn't even want her to just be in a match period with me. I mean, <laughs> that probably is what happened. Yeah. And like, I don't, I don't know. I mean, look, do you put it past that company? Not at all. But it's yeah. like they can't even go to a time limit draw. I mean, that would have made, I guess bad for them that would have made b look very strong but uh just kind of a weird decision yeah well it's wwe i mean who can who can be surprised sure uh but so what we saw here was good looked like a good show and there's still two matches missing like we said the artist starting title match i'm very excited for tokyo cyber squad's big win um so i don't know yeah. what do you think of the tokyo cyber squad so far uh they're great they are yeah. Uh, probably at this point, the best uh, faction, stable, whatever you say, unit in stardom, as far as like how fun they are, you know, and the, they've got a great roster, like the top three go up against anybody easily. But 
what I've really enjoyed about it is it seemed at first like it might be a little awkward, especially for General Kiona, because she went from having her own unit to having to go to this. But they seem to, and maybe I'm just getting worked here, they seem to really be starting to enjoy each other and having fun doing this together. And I think it's going to end up being a big plus for not just Hana, but for Kiona and Konami. So uh, I don't know. I think it's been great so far. I totally agree. I think it's been awesome. Um, and I, I already loved Hana before this started, but I think she's like, if anything, like hit another gear as far as like a character at least. So oh, she's a huge star. I mean, yeah. we talked a lot about the, the top belts and obviously she should be thought of as someone who could easily hold either belt and uh, ultimately be the top star in this company if they want her to be. Yeah. Especially now she's signed, obviously. So, yeah. I mean, she's not as good of a worker as someone like Momo and probably not even on the level of Kiona or somebody like that. But uh, she's good and getting better. Yeah. And maybe, you know, I don't, I don't think she has to be, especially when she's in that company, you know? It's like she can, she can sure, she can certainly be carried to a very good match at the very least. So, for sure. I think that we'll see that over the next... I'm really excited to see her in the five-star and see what she can do. So we'll see. And this match I'm really looking forward to because it's got the intrigue of Mayu's, whatever her injury is, uh, but the injury she's been dealing with and how that's going to play into this. And so I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. So with that said, we can move off stardom for now that we do have a lot of stardom questions. So we'll get to that in the mailbag. Um so let's talk about the New Japan Pro Wrestling Best of Super Junior uh, that started this past week. There's been six shows so far. So we're not going to go into super detail on a lot of these matches, especially since you didn't watch them all. Um, you watched like basically about one or two per each show. I did watch every single one of them. Um, I think it's been a good tournament so far. It hasn't been, I think, it, to call it a great tournament would be a little bit of a stretch. There's enough people in it that like I haven't been into at all. That I think you know I'm, I'm have that that I can't really call it like a great blowaway tournament, but like the people who have been good have been good. There've been some really good matches, a few four plus. So you know we're gonna get into all that. So let's start with night one, uh, which featured you know the first five matches in the A block. Um, you watched Taka and Tiger Masks. So that was the opener. Uh, what do you think of Taka and Tiger? I thought it was very good. I. Came into it kind of just wanting a grimy little match <laughs> between two grumpy veterans. And that's what I got. So what is there to complain about these two? Yeah, I only went two stars on it. I really wow. didn't enjoy it. Yeah, I really enjoyed it as much as I thought I was going to. Um, what are you going to do, I guess? Um, yeah, well, I, I mean, I should say, like, I'm probably as down as I've ever been on New Japan right now. And it's mainly due to the, the main event scene is just it's a little boring for me personally. The style has gotten a little boring for me. So I was very excited going into best of super juniors. Cause there's a lot of different types of wrestlers in this tournament. And a lot of guys that I really like, I'm into the style that uh, Taka does. I'm into Jonathan Gresham. So that kind of stuff is what I'm looking for in this, which may make me a lot different than your average new Japan watcher. Well, I agree, and I like I like talking at other matches. There's just something this did not click for me. That's fair. That's fair. It's just I don't know. Sometimes I'm looking for different stuff than than other people. That's all I'm saying. Uh, Teton and Yoshinobu Kanemaru was match number two. 
Teton one with the Immortal and 1101. This one I liked a lot. I thought it was a good, I mean, not a lot, but I went three stars on it, so I liked it. Uh, I thought it was a good little showing for Teton. And Ken is a guy that, like, especially when he's motivated, can still go. So they had a good little match here. Uh, match number three, Jonathan Gresham and Marty Scroll. This was like, as we'll talk about later on Marty, I think Marty, Marty is up there for the worst wrestler in this tournament. He's just completely awful in almost every single way. And I thought Jonathan Gresham dragged a really good, you know, a good match out of him here. A match I went three and a half stars on. Um, you know, they Gresham, you could tell in some parts too that Marty, like, he's one of these guys that I think has a rep with like more casual fans as a good technical wrestler and completely undeserved. And you could tell that Gresham was almost having to like guide him through uh, like the technical wrestling stuff he wanted to do. And it just felt like Marty was anything dragging it down with his awkwardness. So I thought yeah. Mar- Gresham, Gresham got him into a really good, ma- into a good match here, but. I did not watch this, and that's because I just refuse to watch Marty Scroll matches at this point. I've seen enough in my life. He's fucking terrible. Yeah, I don't need like, to, I want him to go to again. I apologize, but I want him to go to AEW just so I don't have to see him in Best of Super <laughs> Junior anymore. Yeah, I'm really I dreading. I, I know that's coming, and I'm dreading it. Yeah. Um, the semi-main, though. Shingo Takagi defeated Show in 2507 with Last of the Dragon. This was incredible. I went four and a half stars on it. This was like just exactly what you want. The two of them beating the shit out of each other. Um, you know, I, I, I was, I was unspoiled as I've been on pretty much all of these. And I was ready to be so upset if show won this. Cause it felt like it almost felt like they were building to him winning, especially when he started doing all of his technical stuff and looked like he was going to get an arm bar tap out, which honestly would have been probably the way to beat Shingo. If you're going to do it, just have show like out wrestle him when they were teasing all that, like, ah, oh, he does uh, Brazilian jujitsu stuff. But like, like show should not be beating Shingo at this point. Like this should be a, this should be like a long term thing where show you know tries here and loses. It gives it everything he's got and still comes up short, and then maybe even loses another time, maybe in a junior title challenge or something. And then finally, like on the third or fourth try, he finally does beat him. But what do you think of this one? I liked it a lot. I went four stars on this, so I, I think I'm the low man among people that I've seen talking about it on Twitter. Yeah. And mainly that's because I agree with you so much in that it's not anywhere close to time for me for show to be Chingo. And I thought he was a little too close here, was a little too good. It uh, went on a little too long for me. Like I, I was enjoying the match and then it really kicked up a notch with the uh, the deadlift German sequence. Yeah. Like, uh, that was insane. I just loved that. But then after that, it started to lose some momentum for me largely because I was like, okay, Shingo should have put this guy away by now. And uh, I was just wanted it to stop, (laughs) but not in a bad way. It's just like, I want Shingo to put this guy away. I want him to put in a good effort. I want Shingo to put him away. And like you said, a couple of matches down the road, show should beat him. But I thought he uh, put up a little too much of a good fight in this one. Uh, There you go. So after that, the main event Dragon Lee and Taiji Ishimori. Taiji beat him in 1832 at the Bloody Cross. Um, this I found a tad disappointing. I went three and a half stars. Uh, I just thought it was well below the the four and a quarter uh, match they had at Wrestling Dontaku. But still a good match. Just I had a lot of trouble following that that last match. Maybe rightfully so. So, night number two. This was the next night in the also in Sendai Sun Plaza Hall. Uh, here you watched Eagles and Rocky, which is cool because that that was a 
you know, pretty good match. So before that, we had Ren Narita and Doki, which kicked off the great Doki debate. Um, <laughs> I thought they had a perfectly fine match here. I went three stars on it, and Doki won with the uh, suplex de la Luna. Uh, only won about 10 minutes. Um, we'll talk more about Doki when we get to the last one, because I feel like maybe opinions are starting to change a little bit on Doki. I understand why some people didn't like, didn't like him early on. I think he's slowly shown more as each match has like gone on here. And I think, you know, even though he may not be, he may have just taken a little bit to get a little bit of time to get comfortable with the new Japan style. I mean, he's like basically a guy coming off the Mexican Indies and the Japanese deep Indies, like being thrust into best of the super junior. So I'm not surprised he looked awkward at times, but I thought he and Red Naruto still had a perfectly, perfectly good little match here. Um, you know, Red Naruto is really awesome too, which obviously helps. Um, but Doki, like he, he has a different kind of charisma, and, and you know, not not necessarily like the most charismatic guy, but a different kind of presence that we don't really have in this tournament. Any, you know, without him, like you know, the the, the whole like Japanese indie sleaze thing, which I like having an indie sleaze guy in the tournament. I mean, that's you know, some people are like, oh, well, he doesn't belong or whatever. I mean, he's not supposed to belong. That's literally the point of putting an indie sleaze guy in this tournament. They used to do stuff like that, especially in like um, more like the Super J Cups back in the day, where you would see like all sorts of indie sleaze guys in there with like you know, obviously far more polished junior heavyweights or major promotions. And personally, I like seeing that. I like seeing you know guys at different levels of wrestling get to, you know, clash and like, you know, have styles clashes and have different, uh, different kinds of, you know, matches with each other. I think at this point, maybe, you know, the, the American style and the British junior style is overrepresented and the like Japanese, like indie style is underrepresented. So, you know, I like having Doki here. I get why some people are very annoyed by him, but I'm firmly on the pro Doki side. Uh, match number two, Rocky Romero and Robbie Eagles. Uh, Robbie Eagles got the win here with the Ron Miller special in 1355. Uh, this, I went three and three quarters on this. I thought this was an awesome match. Um, you know, Eagles has been a guy that, like, I was not at all. There's two guys here in the Bullet Club have added that I'm not at all aware of prior to them coming into New Japan. And obviously, Eagles worked a little bit in a tag team, um, you know, with with Taiji Ishimori back in the junior tag league, but that was kind of a nothing tour anyway. So it's like, whatever. But, um, you know, here, this is his first chance to really show what he can do in like a singles environment. And I thought he was awesome. Um, you know, Romero still obviously can still go too. So yeah, they had a very good match here. And what'd you think of it? Sadly, I didn't love it as much as you did, even yeah. though I was really looking forward to it. Uh, I'd probably put it about three stars. I thought it was, a little slow, a little long for me. I guess a common complaint of mine is that matches are too long. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm, I've become a real uh, TJ Hawk. Um, but I agree with you about Eagles generally. He's somebody that I kind of felt predisposed not to like, but everything that I've seen him do, I've enjoyed so far. And uh, so, and we'll talk about another match a little bit later that I liked a lot better that I yeah. thought he was really good in. So, but I mean, this was fine. Just didn't really blow my skirt up. I mean, there's such an interesting because the next match is El Fantasma and Bandito, which fucking was not very good at all. Uh, I went two and a quarter on it actually, and like you know, Fantasma. I'm gonna bury a lot in the show because he's very terrible. 
and like he is a he's a a very there's a very good contrast there with Fantasmo and um you know and with with Robbie Eagles and I totally get why I'm gonna say this first of all I totally get why New Japan wants to push Fantasmo he has a better look than Eagles he has more obvious charisma and probably just more charisma in general he's already getting over I totally get all that I'm not even saying it's a mistake to push him for those reasons but in ring Fantasmo is not very good and the contrast with Robbie Eagles is like gigantic because Eagles is this like so, very solid worker, um, very good, you know, structures matches very well around the leg work, you know, without being boring either. Cause sometimes, you know, that can, the, the leg work junior stuff can be a little boring and, you know, he, his high spots are good. His selling is pretty good, especially for like a, you know, more of an indie, a guy coming from Western Indies. Very good wrestler overall, I think. Very solid hand, a guy I want to have uh, in my junior division. He's really impressed me so far. Fantasmo, couple cool spots, you know, and I don't even think the spots are that cool, honestly, but I'm being nice to him and saying a couple cool spots, but just like no sense at all, at all really, that, as far as I can tell, as far as how to structure a match and, you know, make it work. There are multiple matches in this tournament where it looked like at times he was just standing the fuck around with his opponent waiting for something to do, maybe throwing a lazy chop and then, like, doing nothing. And this was definitely one of them here at Bandito where I thought they had, like, a very lazy, very uninteresting spot fest where, you know, they had a few cool spots in 12 minutes, but also a lot of just nothing. And, you know, Bandito hasn't been good in this tournament either, but at least he had one... He managed to have one really good match, which is more than I can say for Phantasmo. Um, You know, and then, like, this... All that fucking edgelord shit is just so uninteresting and boring. You know, all the fucking like, oh, I'm going to step on your crotch. I'm going to spit on my hand before I shake your hand. It just all feels like, I don't know, just there's nothing interesting there. It just feels like this, the kind of shit people were doing, thinking was edgy and cool like five years ago. And it's like, I don't He just feels like he's from a time capsule and just not, not interesting, not entertaining, not a good heel, just nothing. Just very, very uninteresting. Now, that's speaking to me personally, and I think there are probably some people who like the Bullet Club who probably will enjoy that stick. So maybe they know their audience there, but I am not into it at all. Uh, semi-made event, Will Osprey and Bushi. Osprey won in 1635 with the Stormbreaker. Thought this was a, a good match, a three-and-a-half-star match. Um, you know, I'm a little bit lower on Osprey than most people, as people know, but I thought he was good here. And then the main event was the best of Super Junior B block, Ryusuke Taguchi, uh, defeating Yo with the Dodon in 2038. Awesome match. I went four stars on it. Um, just a great little technical battle most of the way. And, you know, I really like both guys. So, that, that, again, probably is part of it. But I thought they had a very good 20-minute main event here. So that takes us to night number three, which was on uh, this past Wednesday, another A block night. Uh, and here, I believe the match you watched was. Oh, you watched you watched yeah, just one match here. Talking Gresham. What do you think of Talking Gresham? I thought it sucked, and Ooh, that was bad. This this was my most anticipated match of the whole tournament. I was most excited about this match, and it just did not do a damn thing for me. 
Wow, you you had a way hotter take than I I did here. I thought my hot take was going to be like, yeah, I was really looking forward to it. It was just a two and a half star whatever match. And you're just like, it sucked. <laughs> well, I mean, two and a half stars is probably fair. It's just that I was so amped going into it and it didn't hit any of what I wanted. It just was like, because of what Taka does sometimes, it led to Gresham kind of leaning into some of his worst um What's the proclivities I'm going to go with? It's just like a little too much comedy uh, when I really just wanted to see these two like try to break each other's arms. Yeah, that's fair. So one about nine and a half minutes in Gresham with the octopus hold. Uh, I agree. Very disappointing. Katamar and Tiger Mask, three and a quarter. I thought it was good. Uh, you know, good solid little veteran match with Tiger Mask just like whipping his ass. Uh, Katamar, you know, that, that's how it started. And then Katamar went to work on the leg. Uh, a long figure four sequence. Tiger went for the Tiger suplex. And like the whole finishing sequence I thought was cool. It was like Tiger goes for the Tiger suplex. Katamar like kicks the leg out to counter, which pays off all the leg work. But then Tiger Mask counters another figure four into a cradle for the win anyway, which I thought was a cool little finish. So good little match. Uh, Taiji Ishiboy and Marty Scroll. Oh my God, this fucking match. Um, oh wait, I almost skipped one because I was so excited to talk about how much I hated it. Shingo and Teton. Shingo won in 10-26, last of the drag. I have almost no notes on that one. That's probably why I almost skipped it. Um, you know, I went three and a quarter. I felt like they were on different pages at times, but good little match. Now the one I really want to bury is Shimori and Marty Scroll. This went 22-21. It felt like it went like 22 hours and 21 minutes. I mean, this... I, like I saw a lot of what I guess I would call anti-hype for this match before I went in because like uh, Rich Krejci of Voice of Wrestling was like really burying it in the VOW Slack that day as he was watching it. And I was like, you know, I start the match out. The first five minutes was actually pretty decent. And I was like, wow, maybe this isn't going to be as bad as people said. And then it just ground to a fucking halt. And Ishimori like slapped on a chin lock and then went to an even more like... I guess it's called like a bow and arrow hold. It's like one of the most boring rest holds you could do. Even more boring than a chin lock, I think. It's just like take a guy's arms and spread them out from their body in a way that does not look like even remotely painful. And we we held that for a long time. I was like, okay. Um, so as I'm the, – the slack anti-hype. I read Joe Lanza say they had a botch and it fell apart after. Um after that rest hold spot, I thought I must have like turned away from the screen and missed the box he was talking about because I thought the match fell apart there. Like around the 10 minute mark, they just stood around doing absolutely nothing. But then after lots and lots more of slow nothing, I saw the botch. Like the botch happened like 10 minutes after I thought it did. So it was like a terrible tombstone botch. Just completely awful. Um, and then they went to like, again, the match completely fell apart even worse. And they went to like slowly and badly traded submission counters. Uh, and then there was like a nice Larry at the end by Marty, which is the nicest thing I can say about the the match past the first five minutes. So yeah, I went a half star, mostly for the first five minutes. Just a really terrible match. I think the worst match probably I've seen in New Japan all year. Uh, Marty Scroll is very bad. Taiji Shimori is a guy that like, you know, I really praise a lot during his junior title reign. So I have to say he didn't do anything to save this. Um, just really, really awful. And the main event, Dragon Lean Show, another decent little match, three and a quarter. Uh, it went too long at 27-10. But, you know, they kind of fucked up the cross-arm 
powerbomb reversal spot around the 20-minute mark. Majorly disappointing match, but Dragon Lee did eventually get the win. So, yeah, night three. If you're going to skip any night of this tournament, make it night three because this was a fucking terrible, a terrible night of this tournament. Uh, I mean, I said it's mostly been good, but, you know, I guess I forgot how bad night three was. Night number four, which was also in Almari, uh, this was a B-block night, and it began with a match you actually got to watch. So, Aaron, tell me all about Robbie Eagles and Red Narita. I mean, I want to be clear that it's not that there's uh, a real reason keeping me from watching these matches. It's just that I like to cherry pick because I don't. I'll get burned out very easily. So, yeah, if you, I mean, look, you, I, you are a genius for not watching half the fucking shit. I just, especially that Morty <laughs> match. I felt like as that match was going on, I'm like, why did I decide to do this with my life? Just watch these terrible shitty matches. <laughs> just yeah. talk about them. And I don't, I even f- find that I don't really like to cherry pick just based on what everybody says is good. It's just like, I look at the card and it's like, what stands out to me? What speaks to me as something that I might like? And I just watch that and everything else I don't really care about. So it's just a little little wrestling fan self-care. Uh, but yes, I did watch Rin Narita versus Robbie Eagles, and I thought it was great. Yeah, uh, this was awesome. I probably would be at about three and three quarters. That's, my, four. that's my exact rating, three and three quarters. Yeah. I wanted to put it four, but it just didn't quite get there. Um, I loved the story of... Uh, Eagles going after the leg, especially what really made this all pop was that it was in Narita's hometown. So he's kind of just like the big baby face. They have signs for him and everything. Right. And Eagles is just perfectly playing against that and hits, goes back to that leg at the perfect times to really uh, cut off Narita. And I just thought this was great. I loved it. Uh, Yeah, I totally agree with you. I think it's, it was a really good match. Um, you know, the the only complaint that I guess I take it down from four was Naruto, like, didn't really sell the leg down the stretch. But, like, it's only a nine-minute match anyway, so it's not that big of a complaint. Yeah, yeah um, I agree. But, yeah, as far as, like, you know, Eagles won at 92, the turbo backpack, very good match. Uh, match number two is Yo and Bendito. Uh, this was pretty disappointing. I only went two and a quarter on it. Uh, it was good early, but it fell apart a little. Um, Bandito started throwing these really terrible, like light as a feather strikes, and it got awkward from there. So just not very good. Uh, match number three, Osprey and Rocky. This got a lot of hype, and I think this was a oh match number three. I keep skipping one. Wow, Bushi and El Fantasmo. Yeah, this fucking sucked again. El Fantasmo <laughs> had a very bad tournament. Um, he won him ten thirteen with the CR two. Um, I don't know. This was where ELP did that fucking spitting on his own hand spot. It's a bunch of flippy nothing. Um, ELP did the very original Amer- Western heel move of making fun of the Japanese woman calling for Bushi. Very, very original and interesting. Uh, there was a very boring t-shirt joke exchange and nothing else ha- happened for a while. Um, one of my notes here just says, quote, this is so boring. That I was very, very much enjoying the match at that point. Um, oh, oh, and then here's what this I, this I took a picture of because I couldn't believe it. So Bushi does this top rope Rana, Okay. And El Fantasmo decides in his infinite wisdom that the way he's going to sell taking his top rope Rana is he's going to sit up and look at the camera in a mixture of, like, confusion and constipation. Like, that's the only way I can describe this facial expression. It did not look like a man in pain. It looked like a man who, like, I don't know, like was doing a parody of a pro wrestler in pain. It's just really, really awful. 
Um, but yeah, but like there was like just nothing. I, I, I don't know. Just a bad match. El Phantasma was very bad. I don't understand why people, why anyone would like him at this point, especially in New Japan. Will Ospreay and Rocky Romero. This was three and a half stars for me. Um, you know, I think it was a victim of hype for me, like where I, ta- I saw a lot of people going four plus on it. Um, it just didn't click with me at nearly that level. Especially like, you know, with the 20, like you were just talking about the New Japan style, that being matches being too long. You know, this was 25 minutes and 45 seconds. And like, it felt like the about the last five minutes were the the interesting part of the match. Or the rest of it was, you know, it wasn't like it was bad or anything, but it was really just a match for me. Um, you know, the last five minutes were really good, though. That's where the three and a half comes in. But, you know, just didn't click on that level with me. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I thought it was way too long. Very boring. Oh, wait, I, really... I, forgot you wa- I forgot you watched this one. I'm sorry. Keep... Yep. I, I put down in my notes that 20 minutes passed before the crowd made hardly any noise. Now... Everybody got riled up in the last five minutes. You're right. It was a lot of fun. There was a lot of cool reversals and that sort of stuff. But it's like, how do you care about that when the first 20 minutes doesn't really garner up any investment in the match? Uh, I thought there was too much Rocky down the stretch. It's kind of the same problem that I had with a little different, but similar to the Shingo show thing, which it's like, why does Rocky need to have so much offense down the stretch? It's like, just go home. Let, let, Osprey put him away. He's obviously way above him on the pecking order. It's like, just end this match. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I, I said in the Slack that, you know, I gave it like three and a half and people acted like I shot somebody's child. Oh, so, I, don't go, <laughs> I would maybe go three. I mean, I just I didn't care for it at all. <laughs> See, you should have backed me up in the Slack, buddy. Sorry, I, I missed it, John. I would have. <laughs> I, have, I have. People be like, oh, you actually like Will Osprey, which I don't hate Will Osprey. I think he's... I mean, look, he's not my favorite wrestler either. I'm not going to sit here and lie to you. I just, like, there was nothing to this match for the first 20 minutes. Yep. Like, yes, the last five minutes and 45 seconds were extremely good. I'm not even disagreeing. I thought it was a really good closing stretch. But if we're going to give, like, four and a half or four and a quarter based on six minutes of a 25-minute match, I'm like, what are we doing? And I like Osprey a lot more than you do. So this yeah. is not coming from an anti-Osprey place. It was just, it wasn't that good. It was fine. Risuke Taguchi and Doki. Uh, Taguchi won with the Oh My and Gar Angle, which is my, one of my favorite finisher names. But yeah, this one 21 22. And I went three and a half on this. I thought it was better than Osprey Rocky. Don't give a shit if you disagree with that one. Um, but yeah, I thought, you know, I saw a lot of people say, you know, Romero, Taguchi, you know, is a pro's pro and really like carried Doki to a good match. And I don't really even disagree. I, I will say I thought Doki's stuff early on was a little uh, underrated. I thought, like, the spot where he did the splits to send Rocky to the floor and then, like, slammed various young lions onto him. I thought that was a cool little heel spot. Um, I like that he just, like, cut off Taguchi's mini comeback by just, like, stepping out of the way of a dive like he was Samoa Joe or something. I thought it really worked, again, for, like, the kind of, like, scummy heel character he's trying to portray. And, like, the chair counter to the apron side butt attack. That was really cool. The chin lock was very boring, and that's where I would take points out. There's a very long chin lock here, which spoke to Doki, maybe not knowing what else to do at that point. But but then Taguchi really... I thought Doki's selling was great for the ankle lock when we started going to the ankle lock stuff. And I think that could have been also, like, you know, maybe just where we talked about, like, facial expressions being important. We don't get to see Doki's facial expressions. So for all I know, they could be terrible. But, 
he just has to convey it through his body motion, I guess. I thought his selling through his body motion was really good. Um, but yeah, and then obviously Taichi interfered a few times, and Taguchi gave him a dodon and put him back in the ankle lock, and you had that great visual of all the young lions like holding back Taichi, and then Doki tapped. So the crowd was really into this by the end too. So, and that they were there was not they were not an easy crowd all night, but yeah, good match, good Doki performance, very good Taguchi performance. Night number five, the Yamagata Big Wing uh, started out with Taka and Sho, which went three stars. Um, you know, not not my favorite match or anything, but not like it was, you know, bad either. Uh, Sho won with the Shock Arrow in ten oh two. You know, it just kind of a little fi- fine little technical battle, a little dull maybe. Um, you, the only thing you saw in this was the Dragon League Gresham match, right? True. Okay, so I want to skip through these really quickly. Teton and uh, oh, first Tiger Mask and Marty Scroll. Uh, Tiger mocking the bird flap was really funny. Probably the best thing in this match because nothing happened after that. Um, there was like a long amount of finger work, which is like one of my least favorite things from a Marty Scroll match. Just very boring. Uh, it picked up a little bit when Tiger Mask was on offense finally, and his submission moves are act- and then like his high impact stuff was actually interesting. Um, you know, two and a quarter, uh, sort of decent finishing stretch, but you know, all that fucking finger, basically Marty may have sit through like 13 minutes of mostly finger work and they just went with the black plague. It's like, why do I have to sit through all that finger bullshit then? It has nothing to do with the match or the finish or anything. So I fucking hate Marty Scroll, everybody. Yeah, he sucks. <laughs> Teton and Taiji Shimori, three stars, totally fine. Just a match. Nice little spots, but not much else to it. And the match you actually saw. So go ahead. Dragon Lee and Jonathan Gresham. Yeah, I loved it. I'd probably go about three and a half on it. I wouldn't even hire you on three and three quarters. It was good. Okay, yeah. I would. I mean, I wouldn't fight you for that. Uh, and the reason why I would probably go about three and a half is it didn't have the highs of Sho and Shingo, which I went four on. But I felt like it could have if they let it. Uh, I think I saw Joe Lanza maybe say that this felt like uh, them kind of their first opportunity. No, maybe he was talking about Shoshingo. This match, though, felt like something that if they really devoted some time to these two guys having a match and let it mean something, it could be great. I'm not a huge Dragon Lee fan, generally, to be honest. Like, I love when he and Hiromu try to kill each other. That's a lot of fun for me. But just like his normal matches, I'm whatever on. But here we had Gresham, who wrestles a style that I really like. And I felt like he made Dragon Lee wrestle that style that logical style of match uh, and i'm not gonna say carry dragon lee dragon lee's a good pro wrestler it's just that the story that they told the type of match they wrestled made a lot of sense i really enjoyed it yeah i thought it was really good too went about under 10 minutes good little match and uh you know i, I liked gresham dominating early on with all of his counters it looked like they worked really well together uh, i thought it was a really good match Main event, Shingo and Kanemaru. You should have watched this one, honestly, because this was even better. Uh, it went 15-24. Shingo won the last of the dragon. I went four flat on this. It was awesome. Um, they set this up the night before with Kanemaru targeting his leg. So then he just went after it even more. He gave him a knee breaker through the table, which just looked, looked, looked so good. And then there was another chair leg attack, which led to a great count-out tease. Um and then down the stretch when Shingo like grabbed it, Kanemaru tried to bring a chair in. Shingo used the chair to block the whiskey spit and then gave him a whiskey spit of his own. That's one of my favorite spots here. That was awesome. 
and then Shingo obviously puts him away. But like it, this match is structured in such a way that you really thought Katamaru could win, which is so, you know amazing considering Shingo hasn't lost a fucking fall in this company yet. And you you were like, oh maybe fucking seventy year old Yoshinobu Katamaru is gonna beat him. So yeah, this was really good, and you know I probably my second favorite match of the, the tournament so far. Um, the final th- thing we've seen so far was actually today's matches from Best of the Super Junior. Uh, it started out with Rocky Romero and Ren Narita, another very good match. I went three and a half on it. Uh, Rocky won with a arm bar, um, you know, just a cross arm breaker actually. But yeah, I mean, a uh, good mat wrestling early, hot closing stretch. And I like the instant tap out by Narita there. I mean, Red Narita is just really, really good. Like, there's really nothing else to say at that point as far as, like, you know, high-level young lines. I, I think he's, you know, again, this might be a hot take to people, but I think he's surpassed Shota Amino. I think he's the best young line they have right now. And, like, he shows it every time he's in there because he's got both the – he's got the selling down, but he's also, like, a great technical wrestler, and I think he really shows it in there every time. Um, Bandito and Doki – um, this was the best Doki match so f- well, no, okay. It was the best Doki performance so far. I only went three and a quarter, so I liked the Taguchi one better. But I thought the you know, they went a little disjointed down the stretch. But like as far as the you know, Doki himself, he looks way more comfortable in there with Bandito than he has a- at all before this. And I think that probably is just because these two apparently have history from Mexico and like Bandito helped train him or something, apparently. Um so this was like a grudge match. Doki like attacked him yesterday uh, in the post-match promos. And then so it started out hot and heavy with Bandito with a dive to the floor and then brawling on the floor. And then both guys worked at a way faster pace than they have so far. They just looked very comfortable in there with each other. Uh, and Doki threw like a really good drop kick too. So that was something I made. And it slowed down a little in the middle and maybe got a bit disjointed. And the finish felt a bit out of nowhere with, with Bandito hitting the 21 flex. But I still thought it was a good match. Three, solid three and a quarter. What do you think, Aaron? Because I know you watched this. Yeah, this is the only Doki match I've ever watched in my life. And it made me completely not understand why everybody was so mad about him. Uh, because <laughs> I thought he was, like, pretty good here. I mean, Bandito was better than him, for sure. But he was fine. I mean, he held his own. Like, here comes the hot takes, if you're ready for this. I would rather watch Doki than... Marty Skrull. I totally agree. I would rather watch Doki than Bushi. Uh, that one I can't go. I can't be with you on that one. I'm sorry. Here's the hot take if you're ready for this. I would rather watch Doki than Yoshinobu Kanemaru. Oh, boo. <laughs> Actually, you know what? That one, uh, nah, Kanemaru's really good. Yeah, so for me, there's like several people just in this, you know, and I have, I, the only El Fantasma wa- uh, match I've watched is the one uh, before this tour, the the tag uh, that I can't think of off the top of my head now with uh, Osprey was also in the tag. Okay, nobody knows. It's okay, but no, it was like Osprey. It was like Osprey and uh, oh god, and Dragon Lee against Bandito and uh, I mean against Phantasmo and Ishimori. That's right. It. So that's the only Phantasmo I've seen, but I would much rather watch Doki than him. So I agree. I that don't see the problem. Easy. Yeah, I don't see the problem. He kind of reminded, I mean, yes, I see the Japanese sleaze on him, the indie sleaze. He reminded me kind of of, uh, not really in style, but just how he looks. Reminded me kind of of Kengo Mashimo. And to me, that's like a positive comparison because Kengo's a wrestler that I really like. So 
I don't know. What's the problem with Doki? Doki's cool. I don't, I don't get it either, man. I mean, even even before this match, it was like, look, he's a last-minute injury replacement for El Desperado. Of, of course, I'd rather have Desperado. Desperado's awesome. But, like, for a guy just thrown in there off the indies, he's he's pretty much what I expected. And, if anything, a little better than I expected. So I, I don't know why people are hating so hard on the Doki. I wonder if the mask ever falls off. That's a good question. It looks I mean, a little worse, right? Just kind of tied on there. Like, I, I worry about him. Uh, El Phantasmo and Robbie Eagles. Look, I went three and a half on this because Robbie Eagles is very good. Um, but like, yeah, it was like this again, like showed to me the, the, the difference between these two wrestlers where like the match was very boring early on when it was mostly Phantasmo doing his fucking stick. And then like Eagles came up with this awesome counter when Robbie, when uh, ELP did his fucking stupid, like, uh, I'm going to step on your crotch while you're hanging on the tree of wild. And this funny. And, like, Eagles camp with this awesome, like, Spider-German counter that looked awesome. And then, like, basically went on, like, a really good offensive sequence. And, you know, he made this match interesting through, like, the sheer force of his will. And ELP may have may as well have been, like, a a fucking, tra- like, crash test dummy or something. Just occasionally went, like, pull my finger. Like, that's all ELP is to me. Um, but, yeah, and then he, then he fucking, on top of being a, a pretty bad pro wrestler... He showed himself to be a pretty bad human being after the match when he like took a clearly um, handicapped re- fan's hat up, up in the front row. Took this fun- the fan was like reaching out for him, and again the fan clearly you know has some kind of disability, and he takes this hat off of him and like throws it into the crowd. I'm just like, what the fuck is your problem? Like they- you can't even be like, well he didn't know because they were like he takes so long and looks at this fan and like just take like. There's like several beats that pass. Like he clearly has enough time to see that this fan is not like, you know, just any other fan, and throws this hat into the like fucking all the way into the crowd. Just like what is wrong with you? It's not good heel heat. It's just like being a fucking edge lord asshole. So yeah, El Fantasmo fucking sucks. He sucks as a wrestler, and he apparently sucks in his uh, decision decision making because that was not a very good thing to do there. Uh, semi-main event, Will Ospreay and Yo. Ospreay won in 24-43 with the Stormbreaker. Uh, this is my favorite Ospreay match of the tournament so far. I went four flat on it. You know, again, this started out with a very dull opening, but I thought the, instead of having like a really good last five minutes, they had a really good last like 10 or 12 minutes. Um, and the opening wasn't as dull as the opening of Ospreay and Rocky was. Um, it picked up a lot with Yo going for the ankle lock. Um, there was a really good closing stretch at the end. And I wish they could have landed the Oz Cutter counter spot better. That's my only like little complaint for the closing stretch. But overall, I still thought it was really good. What do you think, Aaron? I wish that I could bring more excitement by really disagreeing with you hard on things. But I also went four flat on this match. <laughs> and I, re- I would have liked to have gone a lot higher because there was a lot of it I really liked. But some of the leg stuff was just a little sketchy from Osprey. It's like... He does too much leg-based offense to do a leg match. I just think that's a bad idea. Like, if you think about, I know you probably never saw this, John, but he did a match with Matt Riddle at New Orleans WrestleMania. And it was built around Osprey's neck. If you recall all the neck stuff that Osprey was selling, you know, in New Japan too. And and they built it around his neck. And it was like uh, maybe my favorite match of the year last year. He was really good at selling that and carrying it on through the match. But the leg stuff, it's like 
oh, I'm, my leg hurts. Now I'm going to do this crazy flip where I land exactly on my leg. You know? <laughs> so it's like pretty tough. But uh, Yo was great. I did a tweet that I feel like Yo should be in Dragon Gate just based on looks alone. And uh, I stand by that, even though I don't really watch Dragon Gate. But uh, I like the match. I think Osprey's pretty good. I think he's very good, actually. But this kind of highlighted some of the things that he does that I don't love. Yeah. Um, I thought it was really good, like you said, and definitely maybe could have used another, uh, you know, maybe another gear, but like someone who's better, like Sullinger saying. The main event, Bushi and Taguchi, three stars. Uh, disappointing, especially when somebody likes both guys most of the time. Uh, just nothing, not a ton to it, and just kind of boring. You know, they don't want fourteen fifty six, so it's not like it really dragged that badly. But you know, decent little match, but definitely could have been better. So at this point, that means the standings right now in Block A, we have Shingo and Ishimori on top at three and zero. Uh, Scroll and Tiger Mask at two and one. Dragon Lee and oh, I forgot to update that. <laughs> Dragon Lee beat Gresham, right? I believe he did. So Dragon Lee's at two and one. Gresham is at one and two. And then Teton and Show are both at one and two. And Taka and Kanemaru are both at 0 oh and three. So Block A clearly looks like it's going to come down to Shingo and Ishimori uh, so far, at least. Uh, maybe Scroll, Scroll or Dragon Lee might be in there in the mix. I don't think Tiger Mask will be, but it seems like maybe it might even just come down to, you know, who wins that the Shingo Ishimori match. I missed this, but want to confirm that Dragon Lee did indeed beat Gresham. Yes. Block B, um, Taguchi, El Phantasmo, and Will Ospreay are all 3-0. Um, Robbie Eagles is 2-1. Bandito, Doki, Yo, and Rocky Romero all 1-2. And, and Bushi and Ren Narita are both 0-3. So, um, you know, I think this could come down to a few different people here. I'm not sure if Ryusuke Taguchi will keep this run up or not i mean it's uh it's been quite the run so far but you know if he's able to keep it up maybe he'll be a factor all the way to the end i think phantasmo unfortunately probably will be a factor all the way to the end and same for osprey i mean right now the what you would think would be the obvious one the the osprey shingo final it's very much alive so we'll see if that's what they end up doing what do you think anything jump out at you there in the standings no, I mean, they usually give us a pretty, uh, not an obvious, but, you know, you kind of have a good sense of where most of these things are going, especially when you just look at, like, the last night, what's happening. Obviously, I think Shingo is a guy to beat here, and I won't be surprised if he just runs the table. That's kind of my expectation at this point, uh, but we'll see I mean, what happens. Shingo and Osprey both could run the table, I think. So Yeah, I was really, as I was watching Osprey and Yo today, it was like, Am I out of uh, out of my mind here, or is it weird? Is it common for somebody to wrestle the New Japan Cup and Best of Super Juniors? Uh, no, it's very, 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 very uncommon. Right. So it's like he really can't lose in this tournament. I mean, it would have to be kind of fluky for him to lose because uh, he's not in the same block as Marty. You know, you could you could sell that, but otherwise, yeah, that would be. It'd be fascinating if they end up undefeated uh, against each other in the final. Yeah. Um, so that brings us to what's going to happen later this week. So this week will be the the crazy <laughs> fucking 10 match shows uh, with the combined blocks. So we have two days off, Monday and Tuesday, 
and then Cork and Hall gets three straight shows, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and then fi- on Sunday is the uh, Chiba show, Makahari Mese, which, you know, is also going to be a 10-match show, and that's like, if you don't know anything about Japanese geography, that's very close to Tokyo, so if you're in, Jap- in, in the Tokyo area, you can easily go to that. So the big match, I'm not going to go through every single match, but the big stuff, um, on the Wednesday Corican, you have Osprey and Phantasma, which you know, I'm sure is a certain type of fan is really looking forward to. That's the main B block match. A block has Marty and Shingo. Uh, and then B block also has Taguchi and Robbie Eagles, which I'm looking forward to. And then my highlight of the entire tournament, maybe Bushi and Doki. I don't know why, but I'm very excited for that match. So that'll be on Wednesday at Corican that's, Hall. That's disgusting, John. I'm very excited. Keep Thursday. your perversions to yourself. <laughs> Thursday at Corican Hall has Dragon Lee and Shingo in the main event. That could obviously be incredible. Uh, and then the main the main B block match is Osprey and Bandito, a rematch from the WrestleCon Super Show. You also have Taiji Shimori and Kanan Maru, Taguchi and Rocky Romero. Uh, so there you go. And then the final Corkin show on Friday has a Rocky Romero Fantasmo main event, not the strongest main event there, but also Dragon Lee and Teton in the A block. Bresham and Ishimori could be good. Yo and Bushi, uh, easily the weakest of three Corrigans, but it's Friday, I guess, if you don't, they don't need any help selling out a Friday. Uh, and then Makahari Mese on Sunday, the main event there is Sho and Taiji Ishimori, which could be really good. Plus, this will have the Osprey Robbie Eagles match, which could be really good. Apparently, they had a really good match in Australia I've never seen. Um, Dragon Lee and Taka is on the show. Um, that's about it, really. So, that's what we got in the next week. Uh, that'll take care of seven matches on each side because, like, you know, all, you know, both blocks will be going on by then. So that'll only leave us with a few more dates before the final. So there you go. Pretty exciting. Uh, up next, let's talk some AEW since, of course, that's what you normally do, Aaron. Now, I'm sure you guys are going to have a much bigger uh, Double or Nothing preview on your own podcast, but that show is coming up. Next Saturday, May 25th, 8 p.m. Eastern. Pre-show is at 7 from the MGM Grand Garden Arena. It's available on traditional pay-per-view and BR Live at the low, low price of $49.99. Um, I heard you guys talk all about that on the on the on uh, Everything Elite this past week, so there's no real reason to rehash any all of it. You can listen to Everything Elite if you want to hear that, but I pretty much agree with everything you guys said. I think the price point is way too high. I would have dipped traditional pay-per-view entirely and gone with like a, you know, like a ten to twenty dollar month monthly sub model for the, you know, for the online streaming. Fifty dollars online streaming just looks absurd when you see you know Ring of Honor selling theirs at you know, basically the equivalent of twenty a month, and you know New Japan's obviously ten a month, and WWE just you know fifty bucks is a lot to ask people for an online show. Traditional pay-per-view it's fine, charge what the fuck you want for that, and I get that that's why probably why they had to do this because the the traditional pay-per-view providers basically demanded it, but like at that point, I walk away from that. It's going to demand a fifty-dollar online product, but you know what are you going to do? I'm sure, lots of people are going to pirate it. Uh, hopefully, people will maybe maybe split it with their friends if they're getting the regular pay-per-view. But like, I can't I can't justify paying fifty bucks for online personally. No way. Yeah. So the actual card, though. Interesting card. Obviously, things got a little more interesting this past week with the the Pac Gate, which I think Twitter was very silly about. Like, look, 
it could be a visa thing. First of all, I've heard those rumors. If it is a visa thing, then obviously whatever. And we're not, it's not entirely clear why they came up with this cover story of the creative differences. But even if we take it on face and say it was a creative differences thing, I really don't blame either side at all. And I think the people getting very angry at Pac are, be, are being very, very silly. It's like he's the, the Open the Dream Gate champion. He hasn't lost a single match since he went back to Dragon Gate. They're clearly building that up for his first big loss at Kobe World. I mean, why the fuck are you like getting mad at Pac for being loyal to the company that basically made him in the first place? You know, it, it's very, very silly to me that for people. But some of those takes I saw on Twitter, I guess mostly from people who, who are consider themselves hardcore elite fans and on Reddit especially was like Reddit's always really awful, but had some really awful takes on this. And it's like come like the dude is loyal to the people who made him. I mean there's really nothing wrong with that. Yeah, anybody who's mad at Pac about this is a dipshit and uh, not really worth listening to, just to be fair. Um obviously the guy should do what's best for him and his career. I don't And have- he's not signed. Right. It's not even like he's under AW contract and not listening to his bosses. He's not, which by the way is cool anyway, but even if it was, yes, it he's, is. Not, he's not even like disobeying his bosses. He's not a fucking AW contracted wrestler. Right. But <laughs> I also think the people who are jumping out to dunk on AEW about yes. this are misguided. Uh, we don't know the whole story yet, but it seems pretty clear to me, if you read the tea leaves, that they thought, well, And what I'm about to say is all based on the assumption that this is about creative differences. Okay. So it comes out later that it was just about a visa thing. Then, you know, you can forget everything I said, but it seems clear to me that they thought they could have Pac beat page and then build to a Pac Omega match that Pac would lose. And the fact that they announced a Pac and Lucha bros versus uh, Kenny and young bucks match for fighter fest tells me that they probably had talked about that with Pac. That didn't just come out of nowhere. So they probably had been talking about this progression. And it seems to me like something just changed recently. I don't know if Dragon Gate changed their plans as far as... I don't follow Dragon Gate. So I don't know if they changed their plans as far as when Pac is going to drop their main title. But maybe that's what happened. I don't know. But I don't think that they just popped up the other day and were like, hey, by the way, do you care if you lose to Kenny uh, at All In 2 or whatever? And he's like, oh, you know, no way. I'm not losing to Kenny. I don't think that's what happened. There's something else going on and it just kind of came to a head at the wrong time. And then they decided, why would we have a guy that we're going to build around Adam page lose to a guy who's not going to be contracted here uh, when we could use him in a different match. So why blow this loss here? So it probably, if the creative differences stuff is legit, it sounds like it makes sense from everybody's side. It sucks that we're going to lose this match. I thought it was going to be great. So it sucks that it's gone. It sucks that they had to drop a match a week before their first big show. But, you know, what are you going to do? Something happened. Yeah. I mean, look, it's whatever. I think people fucking freaked out about this a little too much on both sides. I don't really think it was AEW's fault either. Um, you know, maybe the people who are, like, dunking on the mic, oh, what? how come they didn't just want to do a DQ? It's like, well, like, look – it's not, it's good that they don't want to do bullshit. I don't know what else to say about this. Like, yes, I would rather see a promotion do clean finishes and protected matches, you know, and big matches. Like, that's not a bad thing. Absolutely. So, whatever. I mean, if it's going to, they obviously have something else in mind for Paige, too. You know, I'm sure people are going to immediately think of John Moxley. That could be very 
possible the former Dean Ambrose. I'm sure it could be like, you know, somebody somebody else that we're not even thinking of. But like, you know, they probably have a backup plan here. I, I wouldn't worry too much. Um, I just think it's a different, you know, it is what it is, kind of is what I mean by this, you know? Yeah, and I mean, they don't have to go back to this. But I'm just going to say they could easily pull somebody out of the uh, Battle Royal. You know, Paige yeah. had a, a pretty good uh, plunder match with Joey Janela back at All In. So, I mean, that's something you could go to again if you wanted. So, they got lots of options. But, yeah, hopefully they'll bring in somebody new that, that we weren't thinking about yet. Uh, so, the rest of the cards. Now we have Paige, Paige versus TBA. They have to say he's going to face somebody. Uh, we got Kenny Omega versus Chris Jericho as the main event. The Young Bucks against Pentadown Jr. and Phoenix for the AAA tag titles uh, as a semi-main, presumably. Cody versus Dustin Rhodes. SCU versus Shima, T-Hawk, and Linda Man from uh, Stronghearts. Britt Baker, versus, Britt Baker versus Nyla Rose versus Kylie Ray. Angelico and Jack Evans against the best friends, Chucky e. T and Beretta. Aja Kong, Yuka Sakazaki, and Emi Sakura versus... Karashida, Riho Abe, and Ryu Mizunami, the Joshi six-person showcase there. And then on the pre-show, the Casino Battle Royale, which has a TBA spot and then 14 other wrestlers. I don't really care enough to name all 14. It's whatever. Um, and then the pre-show, Sammy Guevara and Kip Sabian is the other pre-show match. So what jumps out there? Um, I think, first of all, the Joshi six-person tag looks friggin' awesome. Um, I really like cannot overstate that like how well they've done a good job putting together like the Josie selections here. Um and I think it's been great. Um, you know, they 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 signed somebody like Hikaru Shida, who's maybe the best independent Josie wrestler wasn't signed by promotion. Just an amazing wrestler. If you don't know what she can do, go watch her match with Aja Kong actually from last October for the Oz Academy title. Um Yuka Sakazaki, they bring her over from uh, bring her over from Tokyo Joshi. She's awesome. Um, you know, Ryo Abe is another one who's really good. She's got a long history. She's been doing this since she was like a literal child. Uh, and she's very good. You know, again, someone I see a lot in Tokyo Joshi. Um, Ryu um, Mizunami is not one I'm that familiar with, but I've heard really good things about her. And Emi Sakura is, again, another one who's been doing this forever. Who's a great one to bring over as a veteran. So uh, Ryu Mizunami is from Boy. I know her. Just looked her up there. So I've seen her wrestle a few times. She's like a big powerhouse, basically. Um, I, I believe I saw her in Chikara, actually. I always forget this. But unless I'm thinking of somebody else. Uh, but yeah, so like a really cool match there. What do you think about the... I mean, there's been war that they're going to try to use the Joshi as like uh, almost like a WCW use the Cruiserweights, which sounds like a good plan to me. Yeah, that would be great. You know, you could do kind of these hot openers, I'm assuming. Uh, but it's just like a different type of style that the American crowd, especially the folks that are generally into the elite, probably haven't seen a lot of. So I think it's going to be cool to introduce them to a new style that uh, you got to love. I mean, it's hard to uh, hard to not like uh, this level of Joshi, in my opinion. So that's probably the match, I guess, bizarrely, that I'm most excited for. Oh, yeah, it's not even close for me. <laughs> sure. But that's on brand for you, John. I mean, yeah. <laughs> so I don't know. That's gonna be that's kind of the funny thing about me following this promotion is that it's it's not like the guys who are at the top of this company are like my favorite wrestlers in the world. They're not. I just like the idea of it a lot, and they're bringing in a lot of people that I'm interested in. Like, okay, so the Joshi match is my most anticipated match. 
But I also think the SCU versus OWE guys is going to be really cool. If I was, if I didn't like, if I was more into SCU, I'd be more into that match. I just really don't care for SCU at all. No, but a match like this, they can serve their purpose, I think, very well. And obviously, it's going to be intended to be a, uh, a highlight, or not a highlight, but a showcase for the OWE folks, I think. So hopefully they will kind of stay out of the way and, and make these other guys look really good. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so that, that should be, that should be cool, I guess. I mean, look, there's not, <laughs> I'm going to be honest. There's not a lot in this card that really is that interesting to me. Probably the next best thing after this would be just to see what the Bucks will do against Pentagon and Phoenix. I really like Hangman Page as far as the elite guys go. So I'm, you know, I'm interested to see how, what, who his mystery opponent is and what, how that goes. I mean, look, I don't, I was going to ask you how you feel about the main event. I could not give less of a shit. Um, and this is my biggest problem with the show is I didn't really like the first Kenny Jericho match that much. I just thought it was kind of like a slow, uh, very WWE style brawl. And I thought it was the weakest of Kenny's new or of Jericho's new Japan run. So I'm really not into the idea of them doing a rematch. Um, maybe it'll be good, but like, I don't know, like two weeks later, Jericho's facing Okada, which is like a first time ever match for the IWGP title. That to me almost like overshadows this in a big way. Maybe if you're big, big into AEW and don't care about New Japan, you don't feel that way. But, like, it's just, to me, like, Jericho being in that match with Dominion, like, really hurt my interest level in this match even further because it's just like, well, Jericho has a much bigger match two weeks later, especially for me personally because I like Okada more than a lot more in Omega. And even if you don't, though, it's still a first-time-ever match for the IWGP Heavyweight title as opposed to just, you know, a match. Yeah, I soured on Omega quite a bit throughout his IWGP championship run. I was really into him at the start of it, and I was kind of like, okay, I'm kind of tired of this by the end. I've not really recovered from that. Uh, I did like their first match quite a bit, not as much as most people did. I had it at about four flat, I think. I thought it was a lot of fun, but I know some people were like four and a half or match of the year or crazy stuff. So, yeah, I, I don't three and, a, three and a quarter or something. So. Yeah, I don't really want to see them wrestle again, but I'm just kind of assuming that this is the first match of this or the uh, the first show of this company, the big main event, that they've got to pull out something exciting. So I'm just kind of hoping that it's going to be cool, but uh, no, I don't really care about it uh, in any real way. Uh, like you. I am interested to see what the Bucks and the uh, Lucha Brothers can do. That should at least be a lot of fun. Hang- I was most looking forward to Hangman Page and Pac, so you know that's a bummer. Yeah, that was my num- that was going to be my number two match before, you know, after the Joshi match. So. Yeah. So hopefully Hangman Page still gets a cool match. He's obviously going to be a focused member of this roster, uh, but mostly I just think this is going to be a show that is good. I think. Every match should be good on some level. Maybe not Cody and Dustin, but that's got its own things going on. Uh, The most intriguing thing to me, and we talked about this a little bit on Everything Elite, but I think it was two episodes ago, is what is the finish of Omega Jericho? You would think Omega goes over, but, you know, Jericho's going into this Okada match, like you said, very soon thereafter. And so uh, how does that play in? Is there any cooperation between the two companies about how this finish is going to go, especially since Omega seems to still have uh, a foot in the door maybe with new Japan. 
So I'm just intrigued to see where that goes. Yeah. Um, I don't, yeah, I don't disagree with any of them. It'll be, it'll be interesting what the finish is at least. Um, but yeah, I, I am going to watch the show to be clear. I don't know if I made that clear. I'm going to watch it, probably talk about it next week, but you know, I'm just, there's not a ton on the card that's like, I'm really interested in. It's more just like, I am interested to see what the fuck it's going to look like. Um, you know, what the, just what the field of promotion is going to be, you know, like, what is all that going to. That to me is way more interesting than any of the, than a lot of the individual matches here. But yeah, you know, I agree. It's like, where are we going here? Yeah. And you kind of, I mean, I don't know. I, I think that you, like me, like we talked about earlier, want this to succeed in some ways. Yeah. So I kind of just am going to be rooting for it to go well. And uh, I think the crowd is going to be hot for it. Obviously, it's going to look good, it's going to sound good on pay per view. It'll probably look good. I hope it does. And what are they going to do at this show to build to the next show? That's yeah. what I want to see. Are they going to give us something to sink our teeth into? Because this can't just be a promotion where every month, here's a bunch of cool matches thrown together. I don't think that's going to work. So hopefully they're going to lay the groundwork for some hot angles, uh, some stuff to really get excited about. Yeah. I mean, look, I just want to see anything other than WWE for American wrestling fans, because like yep. WWE fucking sucks in so many different ways. So um, as far as anything else in this card, any, any of the matches stand out that we didn't talk about at all? I think those are the matches that I'm most looking forward to. Obviously uh, best friends and a Helico and Jack Evans could be fun because there's at least a lot of stuff that on Helico and Jack Evans can do that is exciting uh, but they're not my favorite guys in the world. The women's match, we haven't talked about at all. Kylie Ray is great. And so I'm looking forward to, I, I think Britt Baker is going to be the focal point of the women's division at the beginning. And that's fine. But I don't really think that much of her as a wrestler. So uh, I, I would rather see Kylie Ray go over here. But I don't think that's going to happen. But it still should be fun. They are focusing on women's wrestling. So I'm excited about that. And we'll, I've not seen uh, Nyla Rose, so I'm excited about that. And uh, we'll kind of get a sense of where the women's division is going from this. And then I, I guess the only other thing to really mention, and you mentioned a little bit with, with Moxley, but it's like, is there going to be some big surprise here? And so I kind of be looking forward to that. You know, who's going to be the, the final entrant in the Battle Royal, which is probably going to be a big name. And uh, I'm excited to see who it is. Yeah. Uh, I that that's I mean, where's Darby Allen on the show? Is what I was just wondering. Maybe that'll be the him, but it's just weird he's nowhere on the show at all. It could be Darby. Uh, well, we talked about that a little. I'm not sure Darby's a big enough name to really pop the crowd as the final entrant, but he hasn't been announced for anything on this show. He is in town because he's working. Uh, I forget the name of it, but there's a show after all. In, that's not all in after Double or Nothing, where he's working Nick Gage. So he's going to be in town. So I wouldn't be surprised to see him show up in this battle royal. But that's kind of a, if he's not the last guy, that would be kind of a cheap way to bring in a guy that they've uh, shown some excitement about. Yeah. Uh, so that's that's will be interesting. We'll see where the show goes. Um, like I said, I'm more excited to see what anything about you know what 
where what their future plans are and what their promotion looks like and all that stuff more than I am in any individual match. But who knows? Maybe something will blow me away. We'll say they are doing uh, Darby versus Cody. Yeah. At- at Fighter Fest, right? I get them all confused. I can't remember if it's Fighter Fest or Fight for the Fallen. I was gonna ask. I was hoping you would know because I really <laughs> couldn't remember. I get them confused, but so yeah. I, I guess it's a possibility that Darby's involvement here will be to come out after the Cody Dustin match and uh, get in Cody's face or something. You know, they may do a showdown, but um, other than that, I don't know what Darby's gonna be doing. Yeah. All right. So from there, we can get into some questions because we got a bunch. This one I got DM'd. So let me get into this one before. It's more for me anyway. So David Nevitt wanted to know. Uh, he said he's going to Japan for the first time to see Tokyo Joshi Pro on June 1st. Uh, I don't, you don't watch Tokyo Joshi, right? I do. Oh, you do? Okay, so here we go then. You can answer this too. Who should I look out for and what makes Tokyo Joshi Pro stand out from other Joshi promotions? So why don't you take it first then, Aaron? Go ahead. Jeez. Well, uh, if we're talking about who to look for, obviously Miyu Yamashita is like the first person to that I would think about. Uh, she has been uh, the ace, obviously. I dropped the title recently, the main title, but a lot of fun. It's a it's an interesting promotion in that the bottom of the card is a lot of young trainees. I think yeah. that's fair to say. Yeah. And it's not... They're uh, way better than the old trainees used to be, though. But It's not like very high-level wrestling on the, the bottom of the card, I wouldn't say. Yeah. But it's still fun. It's like... It, it depends what you are looking for in uh, in pro wrestling. If you want something that's fun, you're going to get that on the the bottom of these cards. But if you're looking for, you know, the highest level wrestling, uh, that's only at the top of the card. So Yamashita, Maki Ito, obviously is like a phenomenon that yeah. you uh, want to look for. Other than the people that you may already know about, I would think like Hikari Noah is very cool and uh, worth paying attention to. Uh, I'm a big fan of Reika Saiki. Mia Watanabe is one I would I would note. Absolutely. She has a ton of potential, and she's already very good. So I would pay attention to her if you want to see somebody that might be a top star within a few years. Yes. Obviously, well, we just talked about Yuka Sakazaki. She's very good, along with Mizuki. So but there's a lot of cool stuff on Tokyo Joshi Pro. Yeah. Um, and it's a very, like, idol-ish promotion, too, which it, that might make it stand out. I mean, if you're going to go there and hear people sing, probably, like, yeah, probably do a concert. So that obviously makes it stand out. But yeah, I mean, I think it's more of a, it's more, it's very similar to DT in a lot of ways where it's more lighthearted than a lot of other Joshi and it's more of an easy watch. So I think that'll help it stand out to you. But, um, you know, the rest, as far as like the wrestling style, it's very fast paced, but you know, a lot of Joshi is very fast paced. So that that's not really like so much of a, different thing it's just you know that just is the, the house style is like a you know fast wrestling a lot of uh a lot of flash pins and stuff so um but yeah definitely Miyu Yamashita is one of the best wrestlers like on the planet so she is definitely one to pay close attention to when you go all right a bunch of other questions private eyeball on a scale of one to ten why is Momo Watanabe the best wrestler in the world well, on a scale of one to ten, I mean it's uh, a billion for sure. Why is she the best wrestler in the world? I think we talked about that a lot. Uh, but the the coolest things about Momo, apart from the fact that she's like just a really good wrestler in the in the ring, is that she has a great feel for her character. She's like really an asshole a lot of the time, but like in a perfect way. 
And she just oozes thinking that she's better than everybody else. And she does it pretty subtly, like if you watch the the pre-match promos. And it's uh, just a lovely thing. Uh, Alex asks, who's your early favorite for the five-star Grand Prix? I think we both say Momo. Absolutely, uh, but I wouldn't discount uh, Hanakamura. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Lawson says, who were the best? What were the best three matches from Momo's reign? Um, I have to... So you went, You already answered this on Twitter. So why give your answers again. Go ahead. I guess it's cheating to say, like, the match where she won the title. I guess that's not part of her reign. So, you know, perhaps... Why, why, why isn't it? She won the title. That's her reign. Okay, okay, okay. I'll, I'll give in. <laughs> um, so I would include that. And then my my next two would be uh, the 114 match from this year against Tom Nakano and the 3-3 match against Jungle Kiona. See, I'd have the same three, but I would take out Tam and I'd put in uh, Utami from New York because I thought that match was incredible. Yeah, that's like that's really hard for me. I have all three of those matches rated at four and a half stars. So it's like the separation is, uh, you know, hardly anything. So that's yeah. it, completely fair to include that. Great match. Uh, so let's see here. The next question. Oh, there was a bunch of other random crap here. So Derek, if you again private eyeball if you could choose one aw wrestler to start a non-wrestling related business with who would it be and what would the business be it would be uh it would be darby allen and we would start a car painting business uh for me i would definitely want to start a clown college with yuka sakazaki (laughs) yuka and i are going to teach the world to be clowns awq 1985 why is the Tokyo Cyber Squad the best stardom faction? It isn't. Queen's Quest is the best <laughs> uh, stardom unit. I should have known you were going to say that. <laughs> I, like to me, it's really close because I'm I'm also a, a royalist here when it comes to stardom. But Tokyo Cyber Squad is so awesome, and they just I don't know the way they like they support each other and like have immediately, even though most of the people did barely knew each other beforehand. It's like you're all unique and you're all good and all that. So, that's right. Everyone is different. Everyone is good. Everyone is different. Everyone is good. Thank you for giving me the more exact uh, (laughs) translation. Uh, At P Cakes Midwest, will what Kogito? Who is Kogito? Kogito. Who's that? The very um, mysterious person who makes some New Japan like merch and drawings. Oh, all right. I know what you're talking about now. So, will he ever come to a show and graces with their presence? I mean, I think eventually. There you go. <laughs> I exposed the fake fan. Didn't didn't recognize Kogito. Sorry. Uh, that Scottish beastard. He was wearing the white belt. It was legendary, but also occurred when there was a huge. Oh, okay. That's not a question. I was <laughs> just talking. Uh, TJ, are you afraid your AW pod will lose listeners due to you po- pushing your pro BP agenda? Because we all know twice is superior. Oh wow, uh, twice sucks. Uh, actually, I don't believe I don't believe that. But Blackpink is far superior to Twice. There's no question about that. And anyone who thinks otherwise should stop listening to the podcast because um, they don't deserve to listen to uh, what we have to say every week. Okay, strong words. <laughs> at at NJIC 
Ska, Jason Westhauer. Now that it's been a few weeks and they've picked up the artists of Star and Belts, I'd like some thoughts on what you think of Tokyo Cyber Squad and if the group is serving as a suitable replacement for Jam. I think they've been awesome, and I think they're more than suitable replacement for Jam. I always found Jam kind of overrated. I'm not going to lie. I thought they were good, but I always thought people like just said they were way better than they were, whereas I think Tokyo Cyber Squad is amazing. So I just think that's a higher level. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Like, always thought it was kind of the lowest tier unit and was not surprised at all to see it go. And it's Kiona is better off as the second in TCS than she was leading uh, Jan. Yeah, I totally agree. Uh, and Fujihaya, this is apparently for you, is the downfall of Momo a commentary on the corruption of monarchies? And if so, does this put Tiber- Tokyo Cyber Squad? as vanguards of revolution? Uh, no. None of what Mike has to say is true. <laughs> he doesn't understand Momo Watanabe. And uh, really, it's just the fact that he doesn't understand Momo is really, uh, it It shows how poorly he understands his own politics <laughs> and the real history of Western civilization. Thank you. All right. Thank you, Aaron. Uh, Callum Lucas, how would you compare the quality of the current starting roster with past rosters that they've had? For me, this feels like the most complete roster they've ever had in terms of both top-level stars and depth. I'm not the guy to answer this. So uh, I, I just, I kind of touched on this before. I think this is among the best rosters they've ever had, maybe the best ever. Um, I, I don't, I'm not really the best person either for like pre, uh, 2014 or 2015 stardom, so I can't really compare it to that. But like as far as as long as I've really been watching, I would say this is like up there because like the undercards are actually pretty fun now, and they used to always be like really kind of bad. <laughs> I mean, for as long as I was watching anyway. So it would be really cool if Kyrie and, and EO were on this roster, except that like Momo would not be where she is, obviously. But yeah. so it'd be cool to add two world class wrestlers. But uh, I think it's one of the best. It, it to me, it's the most fun promotion to follow. So I think it's a great roster. Yeah. All right. So that will wrap things up. Aaron, why don't you give me some plugs here? Sure. So make sure you're following me on Twitter. I'm at Aaron like the car. Make sure that you are following our Everything Elite podcast. If you want to follow what's going on with All Elite Wrestling, you can get us on the podcast app of your choice where we have an independent feed. Just search for Everything Elite. Or you can, of course, get us as part of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Our Twitter account is at everything AEW. And if you're just interested in uh, what I think about stardom, uh, well, obviously you can follow me on Twitter, but I have the stardom match guide that I talked about a little bit earlier. If you go to my Twitter account, it is my pinned tweet and you can kind of see what you can cherry pick from stardom to watch. But I think that's all I have to, uh, to plug. All right. And of course you can always follow us on Twitter at Russell Omakase. Wrestling does not fit. We'll see you next week for episode number 99, my last episode here before I make my way back to Japan. Uh, Next week, we'll probably be talking. I think it'll be me and my buddy, Quinn, and that's what we're going to do. I think the two of us are going to talk about this week's Best of Super Junior shows and then also Double or Nothing. So that will be next week's Omakase. In the meantime, uh, we'd appreciate it if you can rate and review us on iTunes. That always helps. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter, like I just said, and you can subscribe to us on, on iTunes or uh, obviously also as part of the great Voice of Wrestling 
Podcasting Network. Thank you, as always, Aaron, for coming on. It's great having you on again. Hopefully, I'll be back again sometime. Thank you. I was happy to be here and have the best time in Japan. Thank you. I can't wait. You So you have not yet gone, right? I've never been. When are you going? I know you and you and uh, the lovely Mrs. are planning a trip, right? Yes. We, it's a little bit up in the air. We've been talking about going later this year. Our initial plan was to do uh, March, April 2020, and that may still happen that way. Okay. So, I mean, you're going to, I think you're going to love it, but we'll see. I've, I haven't met anybody who like went there and like just absolutely hated it. So, <laughs> you know, maybe that'll, uh, maybe you'll be the first one finally. Who knows? But I doubt it. Thank you as always for listening. And folks, we will see you next time. Here it comes again. Lunch. Will it be the same old, same old? Or are you ready to take a vacation from the ordinary with the new Jamaican jerk turkey sub at Firehouse Subs? Freshly sliced smoked turkey breast, craveably sweet mustard sauce, and a hint of Caribbean seasoning. Just $5.55 for a medium. Save time. Order the new Jamaican jerk turkey sub on the Firehouse Subs app. Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs. Save more lives. Participating locations. Limited time only plus tax. Prices may vary for delivery. Transform your home in one weekend with paint from Menards. Get a paint that combines durability and gorgeous color. Dutch Boys DuraClean Interior Paint and Primer in One offers stay clean technology, making your home stay beautiful and clean longer. And with Dutch Boys Easy Opening Smooth Pouring Container, transforming your home has never been easier. Save big money on Dutch Boy paints and head into Menards to get your paint project started today. Save